Hi, I'm Alexis Ohanian. You may know me as one of the co-founders of Reddit, but more recently, a large part of my identity is being a father to my wonderful daughters. In my podcast, Business Dad, I hope to open the conversation about working parents a bit. You'll get to hear from a wide range of business dads, from Rain Wilson and Guy Raz to Todd Carmichael and Shane Battier, to find out how they balance being a dad with a successful career. Business Dad is available now, so be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back for another episode of Mother May I Sleep With Podcast. Today's guest is an old, an old bud. I, I mean, I was thinking about how I know today's guest, Andrew Waller. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm very excited. We connected probably, God, it must have been like 13 years ago or something. I was you working. Were, you were a defamer micro celebrity that I stand. Let's just just get it out on the table early. And I have to tell you about this because I don't think I've ever spoken about this publicly before. But the audition that I was at, I was called to my first audition. Someone in Hollywood had seen me on Defamer and was like, oh, that girl seems like she should be an actress. (laughs) Let's have her audition for a show. So I was in this building auditioning for a show. And I, I don't know if I'm comfortable saying which one yet, but I was supposed to be trying out for the part of a white girl who was like a h- cool hipster white girl who happened to seemingly out of nowhere speak fluent Korean. <laughs> okay. And the casting director was like, oh, it's okay if you don't speak Korean. Just like say what you think Korean sounds like. And I was like, oh, I don't think I can do that. And she was like, what do you just it's okay. And I was like, "Uh, I I don't I don't feel comfortable mimicking another language. Like, I feel like that's really bad. And I, I couldn't bring myself to do it. And I think, you know, that in the fact that I have never acted a day in my life um, really hurt me in the process of getting that role but i feel like you were i feel like you were ahead of that curve i feel like i don't know in 2005 2000 whatever that was you know i still i think there were probably a lot of people walking in and just doing that without thinking probably i i guess i just will say that i am so fucking thankful that there is no video of me improvising what i think korean sounds like out there that's something that like yeah, you could probably get me to endorse Trump if you told me that you had that. <laughs> it's a lot of blackmail, sure. But I sent you, um, you have a wonderful writing partner, by the way, Mike, who yeah. you two are a package deal. And I met you guys at the same time. You guys have always been so fucking nice to me. I remember feeling so fancy when you and Mike invited me to a party at your house. And I think I like smoked pot sort of near your mom. And I felt so bad that I just <laughs> left. And like, 
your mom didn't care by the way to my knowledge but no, like no, i no. was just very in my head and i was like oh we gotta go but you guys have always been so fucking nice to me throughout the years you and mike have and i have gone out for lunch we've met up like you're just then you're the greatest and i'm really glad that you're here and i hope mike comes on a show soon too no, I told him about it. He's excited to do it. Yeah. So yeah, well, Mike Gagerman and and I, we were this writing team and we would just always be looking for inspiration. I mean, you have been a character in a number of never released, uh, like, <laughs> like sitcom pilots, like a character there, the malls character loomed large in our office for a number of years. I wondered, I noticed that on this show, a lot of your friends call you Molly, which I've never done in my life. And I wonder, am I still like, do you think of the malls and Molly as two different people? Or for you, it's the same to me. I think there's, I think I'm still friends with the character of malls. And um, I have really gotten down with the real Molly. Well, I mean, I'll tell you this is that, uh, you know, what you see is what you get with me. I malls is like, was a childhood nickname. So I'm both of those people. I would say that the malls that you're referring to, she's not dead. I mean, I'm definitely still a troll. I definitely still am out there tweeting stuff where people are trying to explain to me why that's not logical. And I'm like, yeah, no shit. Like <laughs> I, you take this so much more seriously than I do. Like that's <laughs> a lot of my life right now is just being frustrated that I've been acting like this my whole life. And people still think that they can correct me on it. I'm like, dude, there's nothing to correct. It's freestyle. It's not that serious. Um, <laughs> But I will say that, no, I think um, I think some people make a point to call me Molly because in their mind, they think that, oh, this is the real person is Molly's right. the real person and Molly's is the character. Um, but in reality, I respond to both. Yeah. It's, it's, is it weird that I, I like the idea that I'm talking to the character? No, I mean, no, because <laughs> the, it's it, the character is just a slightly exaggerated and more free-flowing version of myself you know malls is less of a character and more of a mood ah right you know well, what i mean, I mean? <laughs> yeah well i feel but i feel like you also represented uh you know somebody who was then all of a sudden was free didn't you know was putting lots of stuff out into the world right whereas i think i was still we were still stuck on a sort of mindset kind of an old media mindset right you write a sitcom and you bring it to a you know, a studio and you get an agent and you're like on defamer just making a career by putting stuff up as much as possible. And, you know, if something doesn't work, whatever, there's something the next day. And I think I had never quite, there was something, I don't know, that I was really fascinated by, that we were fascinated by. And we thought that that was sort of a new type of character and a new type of, type of person, which of course it was, you were just early on it. Yeah, um, I feel really lucky that I was able to be at the front of that in a lot of ways. I mean, there's definitely people that came before me and there was people who came after me who have done it much better into much more success. I would say that I sort of fell in a weird time because you could not make money from what I was doing when I was doing it. And mm. then... Like by the time I had to grow up and get a, a, a real girl's job, 
uh, writing on a show. I was, um, you know, there was people who were making just ass loads of money on YouTube because YouTube had started monetizing and you could sit at home and do what I did for free um, and, and like little acknowledgement and, and do it on a scale that's like insane. And so, you know, and then of course that the tides have changed on that a lot too. Like what is relevant and in vogue is very, you know, it's, it's, it's changing all the time. I will say though, that I don't know, I'm sure you've heard of this kid cause he's like massive, but, um, have you heard of David Dobrik? No. He's a YouTuber who has like 20 million subscribers. He's fucking massive. And he started out doing daily vlogs. I think then it went down to like three a week. And now he hasn't posted anything during quarantine um, because he can't make his vlogs at full capacity. I think low key, he's just a little bored of it. Mm. But, you know, he started making these four minute and 20 second vlogs every day that are sort of like soft scripted comedy sketches and the way he and his friends are presented it's like very much i see in him the appeal that other people saw in me when i was younger and i understand now because i could never understand like why some like you know 45 year old man was writing me an email telling me how much i me and my friends reminded him of him and his <laughs> friends. I was like, what do you mean? That's so weird. Not to mention that, like, I thought literally everyone was a pedophile. Like, even <laughs> after I was a child, I'd be like 25 and I'd be like, why are you talking to me, pedophile? Like, I was so delusional. But, um, I, when I see the way that he and his friends sort of create content and the way that he's marketed it, I look at that and I'm like, okay, I feel like I'm connecting to this friend group that I have no business connecting to watching them enjoy the city and putting out content in a fresh, fun way. I, f- I feel like I'm almost watching a version of my, of myself. And so it's mm. kind of, it is kind of interesting um, to see how far it's all grown. Um, and now, you know, where I'm, where I'm at is like, I blasted that Tumblr off the internet, baby. It is gone. Like, I didn't even take a screenshot. Like, I just was like, delete all. And, you know, the one thing that I've, I've found to be true is like, while the video stuff doesn't really go away, I will say, you know, 99.7% of the output that you put out online really has no positive effect on your life. Mm. So as much as I do love to do the podcast stuff, I view that as separate because it's it's controlled. It's a controlled medium, especially when you have it in a format like this. Um, and some would argue that a three-hour-plus-long podcast does not necessarily reek of control. Um, th- there is something to this that feels safe. I feel like a lot of the tweeting, a lot of the Instagrams, a lot of the blogging, a lot of that stuff, there's no purpose for that in my life anymore. Nothing good is going to come from it. I'm not going to be discovered through my blog, you know, (laughs) or God, remember the terrible time of like people tweeting their way to millionaire fortunes. Like it was just like, really, it was like a dark time around like, 2009 to 2012 when people were getting a career off Twitter. Oh yeah. 
No, no. Well, you know, my, well, Mike and I, one of the things that we did was we we started a fake Twitter feed that people thought was real. Um, and it was really funny because we were doing it for like a solid year. And then we went to go sell it as a TV show. And then the shit my dad says guy came in and just blew everything out of the water. Like we were like methodically getting to like 20 or 25,000 followers with this fake Twitter feed called Shh, Don't Tell Steve about this but guy tweeting you, about his roommate. And you guys, that Twitter account was fucking hilarious. And it was truly a genuine approach that I had never seen done on Twitter before. And I don't think shit my dad says. I think that that was such a disaster. Honestly, the way that it was adapted for television was a fucking disaster. Sort of tonally, it was a disaster. And that's not even to shit on the creator of it because... God knows that like it was one of those things where no one really knew how to handle new media at all. Sure. Everyone, it, it was like, it was like having leprosy, like being like, I'm on the internet. People were like, Oh, well we really don't know what to do with you. And now it's like, Oh, let's take this Oscar winner and give her a fucking quibby. Like, <laughs> you know, not so, anymore. Not anymore as of today. No more. God, I was dude. I was thinking that I was like, how nice would it be to just like, be like, you know what? I spent, I don't know, $500 million on this. I think it's time to pack it up. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> I mean, it's remarkable. They're like, well, we're going to try to get some of it back. And you're like, oh, geez. Um, I do have one friend who loved Quibi, though. But let me tell you, shh, don't tell Steve was fucking phenomenal. The concept of it was, you know, you guys as the narrator had a terrible roommate named Steve. <laughs> was like part caveman or something yeah it was it it was born because we went to visit a friend in arkansas and we went to the walmart and we saw this awesome just like sleeveless guy with just the cart filled with just you know all frozen pizzas awesome just weird beers like it was just this awesome guy we're like what if we were his roommate and then we just sort of played that out and it, it was so great too. It was so fun. We it was like a so, we could do these soap opera episodes where we would at night they'd be going to a party and he'd be live tweeting the party and then people would be asking us questions and then we could interact and it was really fun. I, I but again, you know, sort of the old media thinking. My thing was well, we did this and then we sold it as a TV pilot and then the TV pilot didn't go and we didn't continue continue with the Twitter feed. And I'm a little bummed. I think the Trump years on Don't Tell Steve. Oh, come been, on. I mean, really could have been amazing. And I, I just, just like Steve's slow realization that his Trump vote wasn't worth it would have just like, you know, been the COVID of Steve. I mean, there's oh, so much. Oh my God. You know what? Actually, that is a fucking crying shame. And I'm not going <laughs> to... I'm never going to believe the journey of Steve is truly over. Maybe you and Mike have come <laughs> to that conclusion probably a decade ago, but I'm not there yet. I'm not there. That would have been brilliant. You're right. You're so fucking right. Yeah. Um, it's, and it was, it was a fun way to warm up too. I mean, that was the other thing, like just to start the day by going like, what's funny in this world. Um, yeah. I don't know. But uh, you but picked yeah. this movie. Oh, Most yes. likely to murder. And I texted you, I know we're going to be in good hands because this is a Mar Vista production. And you yourself, you said that you've also been on a general to Mar Vista. 
Yeah, I went and, and, you know, I think about, you know, you look back and you're like so many ways, you know, your career could have gone. I, I had so back I had direct, I directed like a straight to DVD uh, teen girl movie called Taking Five about these two girls who kidnap a boy band. And then <laughs> I also directed one of those American Pie straight to DVD videos. So I was sort of coming off that trying to figure out, like, what am I doing? And I got sent on this general meeting and there's, you know, the, the interesting thing about the, but then they told me, they're like, oh yeah, we shoot these in 15 to 17 days. Now I had just shot these two movies that I thought took everything out of me to shoot in like 25 days and 31 days. So mm -hmm. I was sort of like, I don't even understand, like I couldn't conceive of it, how you would even get an hour and a half of content from shooting for 17 days like it just didn't make sense to me so like my hat's off to the people who do these movies uh because it was just at the time i was just like i don't even know how that works it's no joke and i will say that typically you can tell when there's a major squeaky wheel because the whole movie is really affected by that and i would say that in this movie i didn't really feel that there weren't a lot of moments where i was like what movie are you in yeah. Or, oh, the set is terrible. Or, you know, obviously there's a lot of wig drama in this movie, but it's not the type of wig drama that we're used to dealing with. Well, you know what's it's well, you know what I found fascinating about the wig thing. So I'm I, I was I'm a big Brian De Palma fan. And De Palma has this weird thing where people are always in really bad wigs. Now the interesting thing is there's a difference between a bad wig on purpose and then a bad, bad wig. Mm -hmm. Right. So like in this movie, theoretically, that the starting wig is supposed to be a bad wig. And and so as a result, and, and, and De Palma does that, too. Uh, but but it also has a little bit where you think the hair and makeup person is like, please, can I just make the wig a little better so that I don't it doesn't look like I and the, and the director's like, no, no, it's purposely supposed to be terrible. You know, and she's like, yeah, but that's falling on me. Yeah, they do. I will say though that the wig at the end is not redeemable for me. Well, it was a weird. I don't. I don't even know. In a in a weird thing, this movie actually has a lot of sort of whatever thematic plants and payoffs. Like you and I were texting about the low angle shot that they use earlier on for the popular girls, and then she ends up in the low angle shot. the The red wig came out of nowhere. Like I didn't. It didn't. I'm not sure what it signified. Was there something I missed? That no, you didn't miss anything. Trust yeah. me. Cause I thought a lot about it too. And you know what it seemed like? It seemed like a wig in crisis. Like it seemed mm -hmm. like, you know, I always say that there's a large part of my closet that was bought just completely in crisis. I don't know who I mm -hmm. thought I was when I bought it. I didn't know what life I was aspiring to have. It just made no sense. And um, I would say that you know, I guess the wig does reflect the character's delusions about who she is and what her life is going to be all about. Um, I want to point out a couple things off the wig. One, this is a double title movie. This is actually also known as Never See Her Again. Never see her again. That I don't that I do not get. So Lifetime tends to do Probably because I think that so this movie was like apparently loosely based on someone named 
Christine. I don't want to say your last name wrong. It's P-A-O-L-I-L-L-A. And she was a teenager. I guess she's 34 now in Long Island. And she and her boyfriend, who was a drug dealer, kind of pulled a similar stunt to her and Sean, where they were killing people, their Mm. peers, and then were on the lam for a while. And it's mentioned in the IMDb. The The Clear Lake Murders. Yes. I'm looking at the I'm looking at the Wikipedia now. And it's alluded to that this movie is loosely based on that, which I think if that was true, Lifetime would have absolutely given us an inspired by true events cuz they love to do that. But yeah, there's a lot going on here. So we have Never See Her Again as an alternate title that was most likely renamed to most likely to murder for marketing marketing purposes because like sometimes they'll do a run where they'll be like deadly blank killer blank most likely to blank like you know so it might have been renamed but also never see her again makes no fucking sense for this movie because when she has a chance to run she makes sure that we see her again on the closed circuit television in the classroom well she has to get the most inspirational Okay. Which is another thing we can discuss as to <laughs> as to what on earth why make that up that way. It was so weird how much and how, how proud Vance was as being the guy who always announces it. There's like a number of weird, most inspirational like sort of threads. Yeah. So okay. Let's just get into this movie because mm-hmm. I, I gotta talk we gotta talk about most inspirational. Um let's say we see a girl, like there's like, a little scene beforehand that's like flashing it's a it's a flash forward to what's going to happen where girls in I love a, a movie that starts I love a movie that starts with a flash forward by the way like I like Same. I know I like that would like first of all I feel like we're in good hands with the way it was shot it's got that kind of boozy you know you know there's something happening there's blood somebody's tied up you know and that to me was a, I was like okay I I I'm, I'm in good hands visually and I'm excited to see how that happened. And now I can just, you know, kind of cruise a little bit. I I love that in movies too. I love it. It's the best because you're like, oh, we got to get back to that scene. Um, Then we see just this, you know, girl put on a impossibly long, bright red, a red that, I mean, really few humans have this exact type of red hair color. It's almost, it's almost literally red. Yeah, well, it's yeah, it's clownishly red. Although I have noticed, I mean, more recently, I, I'm, you would know it better than me, but I've noticed that weird bluish color that girls have been wearing. That's sort of like a gray blue that I find uh-huh. not natural. That seems to be very popular. Um, but you know, so so like it's not totally out of it. I just wish it. I just all it needed was all it needed was some sort of a plant that there was a girl that she always wanted to be that had, you know, out of a magazine or something. I was desperate for it. I was like, please just like Ariel, the mermaid, give me anything. Like, I just need to know why this hair means something to you. So then we go to, we get the titles most likely to murder. And then we come up on a girl sitting in this awful wig at her vanity, following a makeup tutorial about eyebrows on her phone. And the guru, the girl instructing is very big on the fact that, Keeping a natural brow is the key. Let's play 115 to 159. Okay, so you always want to make sure you're doing real small hair-like strokes. 
that way it always looks natural and you don't want to overdo it because like I said keeping it natural is the key You always want to be careful on the tail. If you extend it too much, it's going to look a little weird. If you don't feel it enough, it's going to look a little weird. So it might take a little bit of practice, but as long as you're just going real light with your pencil, you'll be fine. Casey, you, you okay? Yeah, Mom, I'm... I'm fine. Honey, I, I, I know it's a big day, but it... it look, if you're not feeling up to I it, said I'm fine. All right. Be ready to leave in 10. So we've got a tightly wound one, and I love that. When she... So she knocks... Right, but the, there was two weird parts about this for me. One, she seemed to be doing fine with her brows. Like, she really wasn't, like, messing them up in a way that I was clear about i mean maybe she's no. thinking that it doesn't it's not gonna matter because my wig is so terrible uh but the other thing is i love a good adr session and that mom's vo <laughs> does not feel anywhere near she is in burbank she's right. so clearly saying those lines from a burbank adr studio and not right outside the daughter's door the ADR in these movies are are always one of my ones to watch because like it's so clear, it's so poorly done. Um, so then we go. I, I should also mention that the fact that this girl Casey that's in the wig is watching this guru do brows. I I thought that it would it was going to like mean a lot more that she watches this girl's Reagan's videos. I thought that a lot more was going on with her phone in regards to Reagan. Well, I was I was surprised also that there they they did a I feel like they did a nice job because at some point you know she gets popular and they say oh my god you have like two hundred followers like they don't overdo it and say like Reagan is some sort of you know, celebrity outside of the high school, right? right. They, they do seem to, to, to stay with a sort of realism of the thing, which I appreciate it. So then we go to a um, kitchen where the mom is presenting a man at the table with some breakfast. Um, we're going to play this scene because we want to set up Harlan, the boyfriend, 214 oh, to three, 316. Thanks. Oh, look who's finally up. Good morning, Your Highness. I'm talking to you. Morning, Harlan. How's the coffee? Can we get you anything else? Morning, honey. You want some breakfast or? Uh, no, I'm good with just the coffee. Okay, I'll meet you in the car. All right, honey. I'll see you in a second. All right, honey, I'm out of here. You know, your daughter's got a mouth on her. Honey, <laughs> she doesn't mean anything by it. She's just a teenager. Yeah, you gotta stop making excuses for her. Someday somebody's gonna teach her some manners. Just give her some time, okay? Will I uh, see you tonight? Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> you know, the mom they, is so confident that she's that that she's going to come around on Harlan. 
Oh, for sure. Oh, her investment in Harlan is probably the darkest part of this movie. And then the fact that I actually wind up sympathizing with Harlan later on, because based off of this initial first look, you look at a guy like Harlan and you're like, oh, this teenager is a total loser. Like, she can't be that much trouble. She just doesn't want to say hi to the guy her mom is banging at the breakfast table, which I feel is totally normal. Um, And then, you know, I wonder what she must have really been like around the house. Well, you know, it's funny. Well, the funny thing about Harlan is how quickly you don't even need all of the obvious dialogue. Like, you just look at Harlan and you know the character he's supposed to be. Right. You know, he doesn't even have to say, like, she's got a mouth on her. You don't even need that because, like, you know his shirt is unbuttoned a certain way, you know, and just the way he's sitting. And you're like, oh, that's the abusive, that's the abusive would-be stepfather, you know, and then, you know, calling her your highness or whatever. Um yeah, I just yeah, I I don't I didn't have that same I always wanted Harlan to get his. I was a little I think I maybe was rooting. I mean, this whole thing which which is interesting, we find out right a little bit there's like a there's a history of this with the mom, right? The mom is not great and finds some abusive men again and again and puts them in front of her daughter. Oh, for sure. I mean, I don't actually feel bad for no, Harlan. No, right. I just <laughs> I just now knowing how fucking crazy this bitch is, I'm like, maybe Harlan has a point. Maybe she does need to learn a lesson. Oh, that's a good. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. She does need some. Yeah. Not to be less homicidal as it goes on. Yeah. (laughs) She could have learned that lesson. Yeah. When they get to school, she won't even get out of the car, um, even though she's running late because she's preoccupied with the fact that she looks like a freak. Um, and, she, you know, and she by the was, way, she's in a nice they're in a I mean, I feel like Transpo put them in a nicer car than like if you can afford that car, I think you can afford a better, better wig. That's what I would have said to mom. Yeah, I sometimes get with people. I'm like, maybe that car was their last nice purchase. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Because she's right got to go to and from the diner. Right. And it's it's a lease that she can't get out of. I hear you. So um, <laughs> she's like, well, Haley Jeffers is going to think I look like a freak. And right, right. right at that moment, oh, my God, she spots this blonde man. And she ducks right down. And she's like, Mom, that was Vance Wellington, wasn't it? And she's like, you didn't even see you. But she has to build up the nerve to get inside and go to school because she has missed so much school that she's going to have to repeat the year if she misses even one more day. So you're like, oh, my God, did this girl have cancer and people are bullying her for it? Is that why she has this bad wig? Like she is obviously dealing with an abusive home life. God, poor Casey. But Lifetime. Yeah, and I think I feel like she, you know, I also feel like at the beginning, you're just you're flabbergasted at the way that other people are, are treating her you right. Know, like right away. You're like, I just don't understand, like, whatever happened. It must have been horrible. The timeline on all of this was a little bit shaky, you know, because it was like it was in the middle of school that she had a freak out. And then so then but, but that was after the house burned out. Like it was there was something weird about the timeline that I couldn't quite get my get a handle on. But then again, it didn't matter. 
So she gets out of the car. She's putting her stuff in her locker and this, you know, classic lifetime jam starts. It's not a sound like the song wouldn't bother to sound like anything else. The The main uh, lyric you should be aware of is you're going to need a ladder just to get up to my level. And we oh. see the popular squad coming down the hallway in their sheer uniforms. It's a it's a green school. I love that they didn't even bother to put like a letter on it. They just did. We're like, just take the plain ones. <laughs> I did was, not like, notice that. No, there was no like, t- I mean, I know the team is called the Hornets because unfortunately I'm too involved with this movie, but like right. there's no, there's not an H on there. There's nothing that signifies w- what this team is except green. So the popular squad are coming down the hallway and they pass her by without even a glance. But then one of the other cheerleaders, Haley, comes up to her and she's like, dream on. Vance doesn't have uh, to dumpster dive to get laid. Mm-hmm. Like, it's my first day back. Are you seriously going in on me? So apparently no, like, she's like, are we supposed to be sad that you had a month vacation? And you're like, it doesn't seem like she took a vacation. That seems like a weird way to talk about whatever happened. Right. Well, right away, you know, you have to be distrustful of a teen girl in these movies, especially if she's the lead. Like, it's just like, come on, she's probably bad. So your brain is negotiating a lot of things. I wonder what it would be like to watch this movie if you don't watch a lot of these movies. Well, I, you know, it's funny. I, I don't, although to me it fits into, you know, fear, swim, Fran, the craft, like, whatever those movies were in the nineties that we with the crush, you know, mm-hmm. like I feel like, I, I feel like there's a, there's an archetype for this movie that goes beyond sort of lifetime movie because you've got, you know, or Carrie, right. I mean, you know, to go back to the De Palma thing, but like that there's, there's definitely the girls who are just acting in just a ridiculously hostile way that feels completely out of the world. Um, and then, and then to sort of see what she does. So that's, I think that's what I put it in, even though I'm somebody who hasn't watched a lot of the Lifetime movies. So she says that, you know, because, you know, technically this month off wasn't even a month off. She was home doing homework. She just begs them, please just let me get through the day. And Haley turns to her blonde friend, Claire, and she's like, what do you think, Claire? Would a guy like Vance ever pay attention to her? And Claire's like, I know a way. So she rips her wig off and we see Mm. that she's got a situation underneath. Right. It's very patchy. It does look like maybe there was cancer and that it was growing back at different speeds. It, It looks also maybe like a freak out haircut moment. Like a, I don't want to say the name, but you know what I'm thinking of when when that famous person shaved their head, and like sure, sure, it felt it felt that's the vibe I was getting from the hair. I did not think burn victim when I saw that. Right. Although I do, I think I think there was that, that I that did, it did seem like they had done something to the skin, so that there was some indication that there was trauma other than just with the scissors. So Casey follows the girls into the bathroom and begs them to give back the wig, but they're not going to because apparently she used to <laughs> body shame Claire and call her Chocolatey Claire. That's so a they solid burn. No, Chocolatey Claire is actually a pretty solid burn, especially considering how it was spelled in the <laughs> in the um, subtitles. It's like chocolate with a Y, Chocolatey, 
Claire. It's oh. not. I was I was seeing it going totally different. I actually was like, that's actually kind of great now that I see it spelled out like that. Right. So, yeah, I assumed it was a chocolate eclair. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. So they don't know her fucking shit, dude. So they throw the wig into the toilet, and she actually mm-hmm. goes and tries to retrieve it, which is bold. And Claire's like, "It's so sad that she's not even enjoying it." Um. So <laughs> we go to- I, again. I thought we were in good hands, filmmaker wise or script wise. There, right? Like, I'm so sad. I'm not. I'm like not even enjoying this. Is at least. I don't know. It was like, a, that's a fun line. The chocolate eclair is a fun line. We've got the boozy open. You know, we, we had a little problem with the, the stepfather being a little on the nose. But so far, I'm with this. Uh, yeah, there are some good there's some good ones in this movie. I would say also the lead actress, um, her performance was great. I actually yeah. went and followed her. Madison McLaughlin is this actress. There's something very appealing about her. Her voice is similar to like Selena Gomez's where she has that sort of deeper voice. And she's, you know, she seems like like she's so good at playing a bitch it's almost difficult to believe she wouldn't be one in real life you know that curse that follows a lot of actresses who play bitchy teens at this age right sure Um, but i do yeah there's a couple casey i think um the ray reagan does a nice job like uh, you know even even that friend claire who's not in it very much she has like a good look had like two scenes where she did solid work yeah I, I agree. I agree. I do think, um, though, this chick um, who played Madison, I think that she is like, I think she's legit. She's done a lot of, she's worked a lot, too, by the way. Like, mm. a lot of series work and stuff like that. Um, I did follow her on Instagram, and she is very excited about the eighth anniversary of Taylor Swift's album, Red. So, and well, she even it? went and got a latte to celebrate it. So... You know, that was sort of a surprise for me. I did not see her being that pure of heart. I, you know, listen, I got to tell you, uh, the album that came out over the summer, I mean, that was, I mean, I was a banger. I enjoyed every track, listened to it multiple times. I'm not, ash- I'm not ashamed of that. Yeah, Folklore is great. Big fan. Yeah. Um, so we go to speech class and they're learning this lesson and sort of like persuasive writing in your speeches, how it's so important to take on a topic that you care about, because if you care about it, you can make anyone else care about it. And to that, I say not necessarily true, but okay. Um, (laughs) well, by the way, let's not forget the name of the speech teacher, Mr. Lavalier. which I thought the fact that you're giving him the name, Mr. Lavalier means that he should be some bigger part of the movie. Like, I don't know why it wasn't just Mr. F- Mr. Like Potts or something, but they really went out of their way to make a really unique name and then for it to just not come to anything. That's like the name of the writer's like childhood next door neighbor or something. Like, that's a right. shout out. I always feel when yeah. it's like layered in like that, that's a secret shout out to someone or just like the most bizarre writing ever. Um, but yeah, so Claire comes into class with her wig on and right away the teacher like is like, welcome back. Um, also show up on time next time. You're like, he has no idea what happened. Like they they don't talk in the teacher's lounge about the girl who freaked out. I mean, I I mean, I think this was my first indication that whatever she was at a school for a month for was probably not that sympathetic. Right. Oh, interesting. 
Okay. Because I'm like, you don't tell the girl who's coming back from chemo to be more <laughs> timely. Right, right. Um, so she takes her seat. And of course, Haley and Claire are being awful. They're making jokes about how it smells like a toilet in there. And to their point, um, why the fuck would she put that wig back on her head after it's been in the toilet? What was she able to accomplish in a high school bathroom? All they have is that pink soap that smells like almonds and like brown hand towels. Yeah, I don't know. She had to just, yeah, she had, well, I mean, maybe, maybe she, she could have gone to like the, the gym lockers and found some sort of like a spray. I don't know. Yeah, it did not. It seemed to, you know, listen, it looked as bad as it did before. I mean, to her credit. Yeah, she was able to make it look equally bad. Yeah. So two of the popular cheerleaders, the one from the latter song, that's what I wrote in my note, a.k.a. Reagan and Taylor, are eating outside um, at lunch when they're approached by Haley. Um, and Haley wants to hang out with them. And they're basically like, no, we've got stuff to do. Now's not a good time. Um, but before Haley can leave, Reagan asks her, what the, what's the deal with the girl in speech? And she said that she heard her and Claire were making fun of her. And she, Reagan is really, Reagan's that bitch. I mean, she really is the most inspirational student in this movie because she finds out that someone at school is hurting and she's going to go out of her way to make it right. And she's going to scold the bullies in the process. Well, it's weird, too. She's sort of the protagonist of the movie, but we don't meet her for 10 minutes in, right? In the, in the sense that she's the one that has a kind of arc of realization, right? Because she's, I don't know, she, she comes in and she's, she's going to be nice and she's going to be the one who has to go through it all. These other people that we've met sort of fall off. Um, and she's like a big part of the movie. Uh, it's also a weird name. Like I grew up with some Reagans, but once once there was like a Reagan in office, it feels weird to name your daughter Reagan. I would say that. No, I agree with you. I mean, this is it's funny that you mentioned that because that is exactly like basically note for note a review that was in the IMDb reviews of this that was basically like you should have made Reagan the lead. Because where we are right now is like we're at the 15 minute mark and there's this exposition dump when all of a sudden like all of this information starts to come out and you're just sort of waiting around in like a curious world leading up to the point where she finally tells Reagan, oh, this is what's wrong with me. Yeah. And it's and well, it's so it's interesting, too, because I, I also think I do have to say that watching it, you do sit there and think, oh, this movie has like weird levels where it seems to be doing the obvious thing, right? But then to have Haley come over to Reagan and get slapped down by the girl who's more popular. So then you're like, oh, that's weird. I thought she was the popular girl, but no, Reagan is the popular girl. And on top of it, Reagan's nice. Like it's kind of yeah. putting everything on its head a little bit. Um, so I don't know. That's, there was something interesting there. They did what they could. I'll tell you that. So, yeah. Um, Haley warns Reagan to like not be too kind to Casey because she's the real Regina George at this school. And Taylor tells her, you know, listen, I all I see here is some easy pickings for a vulture, and it's not a good mm. look for you or the squad. So she 
decides, you know what? Reagan decides once Haley leaves, she says to Taylor, I think I'm going to go check out this girl, Casey, and be her friend. And her friend's like, well, yeah. you know, you can't save every broken bird at school. You can't just take every broken bird under your wing. And she's like, well, if I don't, who will? So then this is when I realized, oh, wait, this is the bitch from the eyebrow tutorial. Mm-hmm. Right. So then, I don't think I made that connection till a little later. Yeah, no, for sure not. Because the way that she was, I mean, first of all, I was like, just from a filming perspective, if this is a YouTube tutorial, why is the camera like that? <laughs> so I was like, this either has to be someone on FaceTime with her or now it makes sense. It's an Instagram video. So Reagan approaches Casey and introduces herself, but Casey's like, God, everyone knows who you are. She asks her if she wants to be her partner in speech, and she really doesn't want to have to pair up with Kyle again. So Casey can't, you know, she can't believe it. She's like, yeah, I'd love to be your partner. I know. (laughs) I just hate, could you imagine if your name was Kyle and you're watching that? You're like, so like my name is just so obviously terrible that like they can just use it as a Tafa. Like we know why she doesn't want to be with that guy. Because his name is Kyle. You know, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, while I would never say, and in fact, I detest the idea that Karen is on the level of a racial slur, I feel mm. fucking terrible when we do that to a human being's name. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When we as a society attribute a terrible personality problem with just right. someone having a name. Um, sure. But so Reagan approaches, yeah, blah, blah, blah. They asked to do this project. Casey does an excited little wiggle dance once Reagan walks away, which honestly was one of the few moments of like no control that she really ex- like had in this movie. This this seemed like a, mo- a moment of uh, really losing herself, that little wiggle. Well, espe- well, especially because we've been told that she's a garbage person in every sense of the word. <laughs> right. That was that was what they had said of the, the, the Haley had said of Casey. So, you know, that wiggle seems against type. You can't be so, that much of a garbage person if you're wiggling. Absolutely. No, especially if you're like this sad girl in a wig and you're doing an excited. Come on. And you want to pull for Casey. And then we go to the scene at her house. We're going to get some more Harlan action. It's 1015 to 1150 Zoo. So, how was your first day back? Pretty much as I expected. Though I did kind of make a friend. Honey, that's amazing. I'm so proud of you. I uh, I hear that there's a, a big football game tonight. That could be kind of fun. For who? I spent all day at school. Watch this ass. Well, I remember when you used to have school spirit. Oh, I remember you and Claire and Haley in those cute little cheerleading outfits. Those were so cute. I'm not in junior high anymore, Mom. Nobody wants to see me cheer. That's not true. Yes, it is. Everybody else is honest about it. Why can't you be? What'd I say? You're not a part of this conversation. Casey. What? He's not my dad. You better watch your tongue. Or what? What are you going to do about it? 
Do you really want to find out? You're overdue for some discipline. Isn't that right, Laura? Mom? Unbelievable. Okay. Harlan. Harlan is coming in strong there. And the way that they filmed it with, you know, the POV from his angle, once he towers over her at the Mm -hmm. dinner table, when he stands up, I mean, I I was afraid she was about to get hit, but then she comes back with now having watched this movie a couple of times the strength in her voice when she's like, come on, like the way she looks at him. I'm like, why were we ever afraid for Casey? We had 10 minutes of maybe feeling like she was vulnerable. But once she came back with that voice to him, no, not timid at all. I was, uh, you know, it's, it's difficult to take seriously. I'm like, come on, Casey, you're a fucking hardened killer. Like, what do you care about this guy? Well, yeah. Well, I also wonder, I mean, the, the mom also could have done a, better job like she just seems like i i don't know if they needed to add her taking pills or something where like you understand why she's so crazy and pollyannish and able to like disconnect you know because she definitely does not seem to be in the same movie that everybody else is in (laughs) So this is interesting. I did look up the mom while the scene was playing out and her name is Heather McComb, the actress. She was previously married to James Vanderbeek and has had a very long career. She was on Ray Donovan for, um, I think, you know, several episodes. She did like a long arc on that. Um, And one of my really, um, I guess probably the nicest thing I have to say about her acting in this movie is how fragile she is able to make herself seem and like sort of like just like a wet rag. Like she just seems like a a sort of like a void of a person, like something really great could have happened there and life just got to her too quickly. Yeah, although maintains a kind of irritatingly upbeat attitude where she's just like, remember when you guys used to go cheer together and you're like, have you not you must your your daughter's been home for a month was there no discussion of like what happened to those friends or you know i mean i don't know you know you're sort of like asking yourself a lot of questions about what's happening in between because the mom seems to want to be connected i mean she even says a little later like well you know we used to be so close and i'm like you're delusional is the problem you know people who are like perpetual victims and it's like just obviously such bullshit like it's obviously what they want the world to see in them when you're just like that's just not true of you i feel like what she is serving us as laura is what those people think they look like does that make sense yes yes like it's very like and like well how could you ever i'm just trying my best how could you ever expect me to stand up to someone like that like she's just so put in a place that no one deserves to be in but she resides there seemingly very comfortably um and i'm sure like if we're talking about the character's backstory her parents were fucked up well, she was. She's absolutely a Nix, a Nexim cult candidate, which I've been watching the Vow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and there's, she definitely has that because they all have a sort of like a positivity and yet a sadness. Oh, right? yeah. Like they all. Yeah. So there's like a you know. So it's they're actually really like positive 
um, people who like just don't understand why like life isn't working for them and they go to the cult and like it works. And so that mom would have been like perfect. Yeah, it's so sad to like see like not even just the cult part of it. It's like almost worse when they don't go to the cults and they just live like a very, um, you know, private yoga instructor with like a low to moderate following. Things probably cycle through a lot. They live in a weird apartment in Venice with crystals uh, in a wall to wall carpeting. You know, it's just like it's yeah. very, uh, very sad shit. Some sad, That's a profoundly sad shit that is almost Los Angeles exclusive, I would say, in a lot of ways. No, and they, yeah, that's why they, yeah, they were able to pull so many people from there who were, by the way, good looking and charismatic and became the recruiters, right? So you go to Vancouver and you're like, a, you're actually a decent actor who just wasn't able to make it. Well, all of a sudden, you've got people flooding in, paying to hear you speak. It's amazing, you know. Like, in a way, there's so much genius, devious genius about that cult. I think I will watch that because you've talked about it a couple times to me now. And I feel like maybe it's time for me to get on board with the vow. Um, The first episode has this great moment where the woman that's like this mom, where like she she meets one of the guys who's like the, the, the guys who teaches classes. And she was she was just coughing a lot. She's like, I had this cough for like two days. And he comes up to me and he says, what would happen to you if you didn't cough? And then she just, it made her stop coughing because she realized the reason she was coughing is that she really desperately wanted her boyfriend to notice her. And she thought that being sick, he would have been nice to her. And that's why she was coughing. And that guy somehow saw that and, and know, knew that she wasn't sick. And was, and was just like, well, yeah, I mean, I would be in. You know, if somebody was able to pick out something I was doing that was that weird you know, and call me out on it. I mean, I, I feel like I'd, I'd buy it. I'd go in for, you know, a $200, you know, I'd go, for, I'd go for the next level. Oh, I find that so embarrassing. Oh, I would be, if someone was able to read my personality like that and be like, you're right. so desperate for, for attention that you've been faking a cough like a child so that your adult <laughs> boyfriend will pay attention to you, I would be like... Thank you. You're right, but I can never see you again. Right. Like after that read of the century, I'm gonna have to just yeah handle this on my own. But it does sound like you've got something <laughs> going on over there. Um. Wow. So Casey goes out for a walk, and she runs into this sort of dreamy redhead man named Sean. And yeah, like out of a Twilight movie, with the he's just like he's he's pale, but with the ruddy the the weird cheeks. Like there's yeah, everything like Archie from Riverdale. Like it's like yeah. this ethereal sort of <laughs> red hair, like white skin. I don't know. He's really he's he's a vampire. So she's surprised to see him. And she thought he was in Nevada. And he says that it was time to come home. He's actually crashing with his friend, Daniel. I was bummed we never got to meet Daniel. Yeah. Well, they obviously. Well, yeah, it's funny because they they had the set. Right. They actually they had the garage set, which was actually a pretty decent set. We see at the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess we see it another time, too. I think she goes and hangs out there. Maybe I can't remember. Um, yeah, she hangs out there one night. But like, I mean, you know, there's this talk. I mean, I there's this talking about Daniel as if we're supposed to know who he is. He is a generous guy. I mean, he gives him his whole garage, which sh- somehow Casey manages to shit on. 
Um, <laughs> okay, so he's back in town just long enough to make some a little bit of money, but his offer to go to Washington and leave it all behind is still there. Mm. And he tells her just to think about it, at least until the cops catch wind that he's back and then he's going to have to boogie. Um, and she says that she never got a chance to thank him for what he did for her back then. He's mm-hmm. like, Listen, I'm just going to have to run regardless. But for now, I'm going to stay put. Yeah, we're getting like the peels of the there's something there's there. We're getting these little like breadcrumbs as to mm-hmm. what happened because he did something that then he had to skip town. I did think it was funny that he's like. I skipped town, but I come, I'm coming back and I'm going to spend all of my time, like literally in the middle of the street, fixing my truck. <laughs> yeah. As if we've seen that like, three like, times. He's not a subtle looking guy. Yeah. You're like, so, so the police are really must not be remotely looking for you because you're in the middle of the street. Uh, so the, a car pulls up and he's like, oh, I got to run. And she like sort of hangs back, hangs back and watches him. Do a little quick drug deal. Mm-hmm. And again, if this guy is like the local plug and he's back in town, I mean, uh, this is also not a great way to hide from the cops is to be the local drug dealer and then come back and continue to do drop offs in front of people. So she's in her room doing homework when her mom comes in to say goodnight and Casey won't even look up from her notepad. She apologizes for earlier with Harlan and Casey doesn't understand why she like puts up with someone like him to begin with. But her mom, uh, mom reminds her that after her dad passed, Harlan showed up for her and she knows he's stern, but he cares about both of them. And Casey says she wishes that her mom would just take her side for once. But before she gets too angry about it, she decides to, you know, back down and just say it's been a long day. Sorry, mom. I'm over it. So Laura pauses right before leaving and says that she knows that their life hasn't been fair and things won't go back to normal. But they used to be so close and she misses that and she loves her. Um, so then at school, Casey and Reagan are working on their project and Reagan says that she likes Casey's work, but it's a little bit dry. Uh, it needs some more spice. After all, they're talking about fire. So is there some personal anecdote she can add to it? Like maybe when she was a kid, she held her hand under a lighter or something. (laughs) And, you know, it's really tragic when you think about the fact that Reagan doesn't know who she's talking to. (laughs) These are her suggestions. By the way, by the way, can we do a quick side? So I looked up Reagan, right? And Reagan, her mom is like a famous 80s actress. And by famous, I mean for like famous if you were 10 years old in 1986, right? So because her mom was Jennifer Runyon, who is famous for the opening scene of Ghostbusters where Bill Murray is doing the psychic testing and he keeps um, zapping the guy who's getting it right but he never zaps her. her. And she, but more famously, she was in a movie called Up the Creek with Tim Matheson and doing like Otter from Animal House, but in a whitewater rafting competition movie. And Up the Creek was one of those like R-rated movies your friend's older brother would rent. And then you would watch a million times because there was like four times that there was nudity. Um, and so she was the hot girl in that, though not, not nude. Um, but that is who we are, we are seeing like, you know, kind of schlocky movie royalty. Interesting. I'm looking up her IMDb. Apparently she was on an episode of Two Broke Girls and that must have been after I 
left. She did uh, Young and the Restless. She's, I mean, she's worked quite a bit. She's a very pretty actress. They have her as a blonde in a lot of her, in her main photo. Yeah, that's what she was. Yeah, she was definitely in Up the Creek. I think that was the vibe. No, I meant the daughter. I didn't mean the mom. Sorry. <laughs> oh, but the no, I, yeah, gotcha, I'm gotcha. I'm sure her mom was also on Two Broke Girls because everyone was on that show. So you're like you're like Andrew. It's not 1985 anymore. We're talking no, adult. No, no. And by the way, I need people who know stuff like that because I have trouble keeping track of how many of these actors have been in various things. Wait a minute, hold on. So here's a question. What's the deal with the Adam Paley of it all in this movie? Oh, right. So Adam Pally. So Adam, so Pally. what I find funny about Adam Pally. So Adam, uh, Adam Pally um, is a really fun actor who was in the, well, the one screenplay that I've had with that Mike and I wrote that's gotten produced. Um, it's called Search Party, not the TV show, the movie Search Party. Um, it's on HBO Max. Uh, and <laughs> Adam Pally stars in it with TJ Miller and Allison Brie. And Pally is just a, he's great to work with. He did a, uh, an indie movie like two years ago called Most Likely to Murder. So there's this weird crossover where Amazon thinks this Most Likely to Murder is that Most Likely to Murder. So like all of the cast is wrong. And then Adam Pally also on IMDb jumps to this, is just mistakenly on this IMDb page. Yeah, it's kind of an acid trip of an IMDb page, if I'm being honest with you. it's like. It's actually kind of unbelievable how poorly they managed to track this. I wonder if it is a victim of the double title treatment here. Right. Well, I had not. Yeah, I had not seen it under its uh, original title. She's never coming back. What was it? Uh, Never see her again. Never see her again. Which, by the way, I'm not saying in and of itself is a bad title. I just don't think it matches this movie at all. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. I think like, what's that song that's like, you'll never see me again. I wonder if it's like that. Because mm. sometimes they try to like rip something. Right. And these ti- these second titles are, are nothing. Like they're not even probably on the record anywhere. It's just somehow they make it to a poster that's put on the IMDb. And then that title is never used. Right. So anyway... Um, she's like, oh yeah, talk to me about fire. And Casey says that she has something else in there, but she took it out. And so she tells her that she wears the wig because her house burnt down. She had to pull her mom out of the flames. And in the process, her hair kind of went poof. And Reagan asks if this is why she was out of school for a month. She says that after the accident, she lost most of her friends and started failing her classes. And one day it was just too much. So she broke down in a crowd and landed in the school shrinks office. They sent her on a month long emotional leave of absence as if that was supposed to help. And Reagan says um, that, you know, she tries to comfort her, but she says that, you know, you know, she's like, listen, girl, I know what I look like. Okay. Casey's just basically like Reagan. I'm fucking ugly. I know what I look like. And I obsess over it every day. I don't feel comfortable talking about it. So I just cut it from my speech because I don't want to give the bullies any more material, which is in such it's, it's so awkward because I don't know if you've ever had someone cry to you about the fact that they're they feel ugly mm. or matter of factly tell you that they are ugly. But it's terrible, mostly because, first of all, that's not really true of anyone. No one is really outright ugly 
unattractive. There's attractive qualities to every single person on the planet. But you can't, there's no point in telling someone who's in that mindset that that's not true. What is Reagan going to do? Sit there and be like, no, you're beautiful, this, this, and this. Like, that person doesn't want to hear that. You're in in a terrible position because they're asking you to confirm something that, A, you don't believe, but also you don't know how to, yeah, you don't know how to address it. You know, how would, how should she address it? She could say, yeah, no, there's very beautiful qualities about you. And then the person just bats you down. Or, you know, the, the reality is it's like, no girl, you're really pretty. You just don't have hair right now. And like, there's nothing wrong with your face. Yeah. But it's hard. It's a hard conversation because you also you can't invalidate someone's feeling like if they hold this to be a belief, you don't have to validate that it's, you know, oh, this is true or it's not true. But it's a it's a very difficult conversation to have. And I almost have to say to Casey, good one, girl, because once you go there, like there's really nowhere for the conversation to go. So Reagan says that no one is cruel enough to make fun of her for that. But Casey mm. nods that ha- n- nods over to Haley and Claire, who are actively laughing at her. <laughs> and Reagan tells her that she thinks Haley is part banshee or something, and that she doesn't matter. So you know they all this is they all agree this was they're all better people for having met each other. Um, and then later in the hallway, Reagan comes up to Casey and she asks her if she wants to walk to cheer with her. So they're, you know, walking and talking and Reagan tells her it's too late for her to join cheer this year, but she should totally do it next year unless she's not interest, uh, interested. Um, and Casey's like, no, I'm totally interested. I just don't think it's a good idea. And Reagan's like, listen, anything you want in life, you're going to have to work for it. She gives Casey her phone number and um, she, you know, takes off to for practice. And right as that happened, Haley and Claire come into the bathroom and they want to know what she's up to. Because as of yesterday, Reagan is no longer talking to her. And Casey's like, well, she probably just figured out how awful you are. And Haley says that, you know, they needed to they need to remind her who she really is. Mm. So they steal her phone and lock it in Claire's locker. And they'll give it to her after practice unless she wants Reagan to see it. And what would Reagan think about all the pictures of of her uh, Casey has on her phone? So this is interesting, right? So apparently Casey's like a full blown cyber stalker. Oh, do you think? Oh, is that? Oh, I was so so what I had noticed. Okay, so this is what I thought was weird, right? In the previous scene. Casey, Casey, uh, Reagan bends bends down, and Casey takes a picture of what looks like taking a picture of Reagan's hair. Like she takes a picture of Reagan sitting across from her, but Reagan doesn't see that. The other girls, Haley, sees that. So she, I was under the impression they were talking about the one picture, which I didn't even understand. You could have easily just said, "Yeah, I don't know. I accidentally fucking took a picture." It seemed like a really weird blackmail item. Unless what you're saying is more true, which is that she's screenshotting Reagan's Instagram like crazy and it's all up in that phone. Yours would make more sense. That's what I that's what I thought. But it just never came back to it because we know she watches her on Instagram. I mean, I guess she took the photo. That's true. Um, It does sort of make me feel like. um, And this is such an odd feeling to like recall but do you know the black mirror episode shut up and dance no 
it's okay. I didn't forget it. Don't worry about it. It's like, (laughs) I would be ruining a very great episode of television for you if I even started in on that. But basically, you're just like, what's on that phone that could be so fucking bad? And I wished that we had explored that more because that could have been fun. Yeah. Yeah. But then she's freaked out about it. So for me, I'm watching it going like this. There's like a couple of plot points in here that don't that seem to be treated with a gravity that I couldn't wrap my head around. And this one being one of them where it didn't really make sense why Reagan, why she would think that Reagan would give a shit about whatever's on that phone. Right. Exactly. Um, So. The girls leave and Casey is like, I I can't let this phone stay in that locker. So she grabs a fire hydrant, her weapon of choice off the wall and uses Mm -hmm. the butt of it to break the lock off of Claire's locker and gets her phone out. And by the way, the the fire extinguisher is straight symbolism there. They could have chosen anything. They picked the fire extinguisher. A fire alarm is about to. I didn't even put that together. There's two fire extinguishers and also a fire. Yeah, no, she is straight up. Yeah, Drew Barrymore, Firestarter. So um, she gets her phone out of the locker, and then Casey is che- uh, you know, peeking around the corner at the cheer team that's practicing, and she spots the fire alarm and gets an idea. So she pulls it, and the cheerleaders who are in the middle of a pyramid jump and drop Claire to the ground, and she is seriously hurt. And I watched cheer. You know what I mean? I see these injuries that can happen. One of the biggest reasons I've always been so happy that something like cheerleading never applied to me was the amount of injuries that take place in the sport and what it would feel like to get dropped by a Mm. bunch of teenagers, like, you know, eight feet on the ground seems painful. I I mean, I call bullshit on this, this, this whole next sequence, because I didn't believe that a bunch of teenagers are going to get spooked by a a, a fire alarm to drop her so perfectly like that she would think that that's what would happen and that even if she thought that that would happen the fact that it did happen seems completely absurd and then she's blamed for it as if thinking that might happen and it happening is something that anybody would imagine would happen. That totally makes that sense. Make sense. Let's um, was- play this scene where Laura displays the most backbone we will see out of her throughout this entire movie, 2134 to 2342. I know this isn't an easy conversation. I guess I just I don't understand why we're here. We're not saying Casey had anything to do with what happened. However, someone pulled that fire alarm and Clara wound up with a broken leg. I already told you, it wasn't me. Reagan told us you walked her to practice, so all I'm asking is, did you see anyone pull that alarm, or do you have any idea why someone would break into Claire's locker? I don't know anything. Is Claire accusing me or something? No, no, of course not. And apparently nothing was stolen, but we do have a response. So if if you're not accusing her and she doesn't know anything, then I think... I guess we're done here. I'm I'm sorry to take up your time. That's fine. I I hope you find who's responsible. Come on, sweetheart. Actually, Laura, do you mind if I borrow you for just one more sec? And Casey, if you ever want to start having our regular sessions again, my door is always open. That's nice, but I'm doing a lot better now. Thank you. 
I know you and Casey have gone through a lot. I want you to know you can talk to me should you have any concerns or perhaps any problems at home. So you do think Casey had something to do with this? We're not accusing her. Look, I know that Casey's had some issues. Okay, but come on. What teenager hasn't? And look at what she's been through. She would never hurt someone like this. I know that may not be easy for you to believe. I'm her mother. I know her. Okay? Okay. All right. I mean, it has always surprised me my whole life, and it makes so much sense. I don't know why I'm so surprised by it. But, like, growing up in school... It was always the bad kids, like the kids who were chronically bad and not even a like, oh, my kid is pushing boundaries sort of way. Their parents rode so fucking hard for them versus just letting them experience consequences. Like my mom would have been like, Molly, were you even looking at the fire extinguisher when that happened? Then, okay, you did it. Like my mom would have absolutely let me catch that charge. I, I, you know, I definitely, I definitely feel like I have a mom who would have put a lot of blinders up, right? Like that if I was, you know, like, I, you know, like that was the thing where it's like, where you would, yeah, where I would just like come home, I'd clearly be drunk. I'd be like, oh, no, it <laughs> right. wasn't me, you know, like, and she seemed fine. Like there was, there was a point where my, where my, my dad once came downstairs and there was like, we had like a there was like a three foot bong on the table and he just like walked by it and then said, hi, chatted with us for a bit and then walked back. And then we realized, Oh shit, the bong was out. And I was just like, he just never, there wasn't, he didn't see it. They, you know, I think there are just some parents who don't see the things they don't want to see. Thankfully we didn't do anything that bad. So it wasn't, we weren't covering up, you know, for for (laughs) arson and murder, but, uh, but there's, but by the way, this is an interesting scene now to 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 listen to because there is a true sadness at the end of this movie, you know, where where we see the mom going like, I, you know, how could my daughter have done all of this, right? Because she was clearly she was truly blind to it, or we are supposed to believe that she had no idea that her daughter was capable of any of. All I'm hearing is that 25-year-old Malls was way too worried about your mom potentially seeing me smoke marijuana. She would have had no idea. She would have loved, you would have gone over to her and you would have just, you could have rambled on about anything and she would have told me, (laughs) oh my God, why aren't you dating that Malls girl? (laughs) You were like married a man. (laughs) Oh, was that? Okay, I was already married. Okay, well there, She she would not have said that then. You were a married man. Um, so Casey apologizes to her mom for having to take off work to deal with this when Reagan comes up and asks her if she's okay. And she's like, yeah, you know, they spoke to me too. I can't believe that they think you would have something to do with this. And Reagan introduces herself to Laura. And I was like, Laura, be cool. Because I didn't know the extent of which Casey's stalking is, was going on. And I was afraid Laura was going to be like, oh, Reagan, I know you. Mm. From the internet. My daughter plays your videos all the time. (laughs) So she invites her over to hang out with her and Taylor. They're going to order a pizza. So then at Reagan's house, you know, Reagan has a a really sort of dreamy teenage bedroom. She has that 
mood lighting that all the teens have in their room now. Mm-hmm. There, yeah, there's sort of like um, it was. I can't remember if there was a canopy on the bed. There was- totally canopy, totally fake ivy. Mm-hmm. She has like a, a great teenager. She looks like a rich teenager who's loving her life. And well, they um, do have a class. They did mention like her and Sean. Right, Claire and Sean do talk about class in this, where that those that there is something about those girls and where they live, and that there will never be them. And it's not just right. because they're both just brutal, violent criminals. Um, it's also a class and 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 monetary issue. Yeah, I mean, for Sean, he's really living that us versus them life, mm-hmm. which you know, Reagan, sweet innocent Reagan, would probably say that she's not any different than them. But sweetie, let's face it, you are okay. You've never had to worry a day in your life about Harlan and going to Nevada. That's not your world. And, and granted, yes, um, they are. It's also probably some personality issues that exist in Casey and Sean. But I would say it's it's a socioeconomic issue for sure. Well, if you, um, can, say, if you can say a girl's eyebrows say a lot about her, which is what she <laughs> says, then, then you know you've lived a somewhat privileged existence if that's the way that you're that's true. the world. God, I can't. Can you imagine like how heavily calloused Casey's hands are in comparison to Reagan? (laughs) There is something truly shocking, like about touching another adult's hand and seeing that their skin is just it's pristine. Like Mm. they, they they have a softness to their hand of Mm. a child. And you sometimes will find a rare adult out there who really has that childlike softness to their hands. I'm going to tell you something. I find it unsettling. I actually find it not elegant at all. I find it alarming. I've only recently come to moisturizing in general. And so I've got (laughs) a lot of catching up to do. Right, right. I mean, well, God, you know, and just like, what do you not count change or like do one of the many things in life that make your hands hard as steel? So, um, yeah, they're talking about talking about eye work. My my wife recently, because I asked her to, got me some like what the stuff that you put like under your eye, because I'm just like looking because you're looking at the Zoom stuff, and I'm like, what is going on? I've got these bags. I got to do something about this. So, you know, in some ways I can understand that like having like a presentable eye situation is is very important. Are you are you talking about like you just started using eye cream or have you started using concealer? No, not uh, no. um, Sorry. The stuff that you would like, um, it's like something you put on that's supposed to that tamps it down. It would be like the the dumb thing would be putting on like preparation H or something. It comes off. Yeah, it's I, I don't. I'm not, I haven't gone as far as to actually put on concealer. I just put on something the night before so, or, the, or the morning of so I don't look so puffy. Well, let me tell you about this. This is a little side jaunt that I would love to go on with you. So there's a lot of men that are not like the men that you would think are wearing makeup. Like there's, you know, just men about town, writers, people that like literally they put foundation on, they mm-hmm. wear makeup and it's not a, you know, it, it's not like a gay makeup boy. Like they're just, you know, they're wearing it the way that like a, a woman might to enhance their features or to make something sort of dissipate. Yeah. And they just came out this men's brand 
recently launched. It's makeup made for men. It's all male branding. Apparently, they carry it at CVS, and it is makeup for men to feel more confident. I mean, you know, I got to say, I think my my uh, the only thing, and it's funny because I sometimes wouldn't don't know when my wife is wearing sort of concealer or stuff because it's good. In my head, it feels like. Everybody would know I'm wearing concealer if I was wearing concealer. But obviously, if it's good, that wouldn't be a problem. Um, so if so, if in fact this brand might be speaking to me very quietly, saying, just, <laughs> "Don't have to put the ice pack on anymore. You could just do this right. right before the Zoom. Nobody will know." You know what's so funny about that is you're so fucking right. Because just because it's marketed towards men does not mean it's any easier to apply or does not look just as foolish as anyone else who doesn't know how to do their makeup. Yeah, no, but 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 there is a right. There's an obstacle to it, right? You know that that at least it jumps over the it jumps over the I'm using a, a, a like a woman's product out of a, a packaging that yeah. doesn't seem like me. Whereas this one is probably like, you know, black or browns or it's called, you know, rugged. Yeah. Man. I will say though that oh. I would love, you know, we've crossed so many, all of the rules that used to exist in the world, I feel are going to be pretty much expired by the time we get out of this. And I- I'm going to be honest, if I was having lunch with a guy friend and they open their, you know, satchel to pay for something and i saw that they had a full-blown mac you know liquid concealer in their bag i'd be like good for you man like that's fucking awesome like you did your makeup like you like that now that's great like why not i feel like there should be no shame about that and of course yes there is something problematic about the fact that they have to make and market makeup specifically to men when women are so often made fun of for how they express themselves with makeup. But you know what? By the way, by the way, it is. So the amazing thing is it is like, it's, it's a deep black thing with white, like white, you know, letters, but it's, I don't like the name of it. It's Strix S T R Y X. And the X is like extra X, but like, to me, it's not like um, what was the what was the weird Axe. deal? What was the body spray? Axe. Axe. So like, yeah, I feel like Axe and Strix, like almost like this. This is for a different guy than me. Like, I need something a little bit in, more in between. Something that has, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be so feminine, but it doesn't have to be. This that's a man great niche. I don't know. That's that I'm a, a that's a great man. niche, TBH. Like, um, like where the market started meeting men in the middle who were like, I want a, like you know, I want an axe type spray, but I don't want to be an asshole about it. And then seeing all the companies that have done this traditionally come out with potentially more appealing things. The funny thing about the name Strix is that there's a very well known women's makeup line called NYX, which is NYX. And it almost feels like a play on that. So now I'm going deeper. Their tagline, you, comma, more handsome, <laughs> is not bad. I'm going to be dead honest with you. That one's, that's not bad. That has the sensitivity I was more looking for. More handsome. <laughs> I, that's what I want. I just, that's what I want. I want me. Me, I want it to look like me. I don't want to look like a guy who's made up, but I just more want to be just like a handsome. little more handsome. I on the fucking Zoom. love it, dude.
This episode is sponsored by Book of the Month. I've been subscribed to Book of the Month for three months now, and I'm obsessed. If you're a big reader or maybe even a lapsed big reader who's been wanting to get back into it regularly, consider checking it out. Book of the Month, they read like hundreds of books every month from new and emerging authors, and they whittled on the list to just the very best. They provide you a diverse little selection of hardcover fiction to pick from, which is an element of it that I really love. I can find going into the bookstore to be super overwhelming. And when I know I have about a dozen really solid options to choose from, it makes the decision way easier. Plus, it's cheaper than other options. Shipping is always free. And there's a loyalty program with rewards and even lower prices if you choose to stick around. There's an app where you can pick your upcoming books and track the progress of your reading, and there are challenges on there with rewards. Your book arrives in a super aesthetically pleasing box, by the way. That's the kind of touch that I always really appreciate. Personally, I read at my own pace. Sometimes I can only get to one of my two books a month, and I keep the ones I haven't read yet on my windowsill right next to my bed so I can just see them all there. It inspires me to pick one up and read. It's nice to have options in front of you. If you're interested in trying it out, you can get your first book for $5 with code pastel at bookofthemonth.com. That's code pastel at bookofthemonth.com. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey guys, so it's Malls in post-production. I just wanted to let you know that unfortunately we lost a clip of this episode. It's not a huge portion, um, but it's enough that I feel like I need to not just cut it out and skip around it. I want to let you know from you know my end anyway, unfortunately Andrew is not here, what happens in these clips so you can follow along with the plot of the movie and sort of understand our attitude when we are talking about, you know, stuff after this scene. A clip was lost. You know, this is unfortunately a production thing that happened. I guess maybe my internet wasn't fully connected. And so part of my track went out, it muted. And so it's okay. Uh, I hope you're okay with it. We've had to do this once before. This rarely happens, and I am really glad generally that our production situation during quarantine has been so great. This was one of three episodes I recorded before the election, hoping that you know we wouldn't have to record anything for a while after in case you know things don't go so well. Um, but 
they went better than expected. So I'm happy to be able to fill this in for you. I definitely did not want to throw this episode away, nor ask Andrew to re-record all of it with me because there's a lot of magic, in my opinion, that happens when you record something for the first time. And it really is only a small section. Andrew is a great friend and was such an exciting guest to have on. So I'm going to go ahead and fill in the blanks here for you. But just so you know, there are, you know, three little clips coming up ahead, you know, maybe a good 15 minutes of the movie. But I didn't want to throw the episode away. So I'll just walk us through it. It's not the Taj Mahal, but at least it's a place to crash. Yeah, no, it was very nice of Daniel to give you his garage to crash in. (laughs) So what is a nice girl like you doing knocking on my door in the middle of the night? Get your mind out of the gutter. I'm just here to ask a favor. Well, how may I be of service? Well, I, uh, I need your help getting some... Stuff? Some stuff. Come on, don't play dumb, Sean. I know you're dealing. Nothing crazy, okay? Just some painkillers, maybe, and the good stuff. It's not for me, okay? It's it's for a friend. Yeah, no, of course. I mean, it's always for a friend. You know you can talk to me. If something's wrong. What are you, the dealer with a conscience? Isn't this your job? I'm sorry. Just help me out. For old time's sake. So after the clip of Casey buying drugs from Sean in his little crash pad... Which, you know, we don't ever really find out exactly what the good stuff is. I am fascinated to know. We talked about it for a few minutes, Andrew and I, just wondering, you know, what is the good stuff? Is she talking about, like, the good kind of pills? Or is she talking about Coke plus pills? Like, what is the good stuff? Is it Molly? Like, we weren't really clear. But the next day at school, Casey is getting introduced to Vance by Reagan. And Reagan apparently has been talking about Casey nonstop. So she's officially in the popular group, at least slightly more than peripherally, right? So she gives her speech in class about the fires. And she's talking about fire prevention, which is, you know, a great subject. We live in California over here. So obviously, fire prevention is important to us. It just was a little comical to me personally, that this girl is a junior in high school is, you know, doing her Smokey the Bear shtick. I mean, this is stuff we teach second graders. This isn't really typically a high school level presentation, but she's giving her speech. And at one point, she starts to get a little caught up and the teacher asks her if she's okay. And at this point, she does the classic movie like I'm going off book. Like, I just got to tell it how it is. So she takes off her wig And she says, maybe now you'll understand what I'm talking about. This is all I have left from the fire. My dad didn't even survive. I have an inhaler now. And it's kind of like a magical movie moment, or it probably would be in a film where there's more money and budget on cinematography and music and all of that stuff. But you understand the moment for what it is. And Haley is recording all of this on her phone. 
in the back of the classroom. And Casey starts to cry and say, you know, the person who she was died in the fire that day. And who she is now is what emerged from the ashes. And, you know, there's this whole moment class. Everyone's obviously very in awe of her. And after the speech, Casey is talking to Reagan and Taylor about, you know, how it went in the locker room. And Taylor's like, oh, my God, that sounds so badass. The teacher must have been traumatized. Probably not the way I would put it, Taylor, but God bless. She has that good energy. Casey says that a part of her was humiliated, but she also felt liberated for owning it like that. And she thanks Reagan for encouraging her to do it, which I'm not sure is what happened. But, you know, it's Casey's world and we're just living in it. So Reagan says that now that the cheerleading squad is a girl short with Claire out, they should just have Casey join and to let them know if she wants to try out. So Casey's feeling good about herself. As soon as they leave, Haley comes in. Let's play 33-38 to 35-18. That was quite the show you put on today. I mean, I knew you were desperate for attention, but wow. <laughs> All I have left from my old life is in a small You box recorded in my me? Closet. A shame only our class got to see it. Such a inspirational unveiling deserves a wider audience. If you like, I could post it. What do you want? For you to tell the truth. Admit you're the reason Claire broke her leg and I'll delete it. I don't know what you're talking about. God, you are such a liar. You don't need to play innocent with me. I know who you really are. You don't know who I am anymore. Of course I do. Tiger doesn't change his stripes. And I think you'd do anything to keep this from going viral. I am not going to admit to anything. You're absolutely sure about that? Okay, then. It's live. I'm sure you'll be a meme in no time. Hey, Ellie. What's going on? Just getting ready for practice. Yeah, I see. You know, your bullying's very unbecoming of the squad. I wasn't bullying. Oh, enough. Look, if it was up to me, you'd be gone already. But now you get to explain yourself to Reagan. You better hope that she forgives her sorry ass. So as soon as I saw that clip, I was like, what did Casey do? And we never really find out exactly why Casey was such an impossible friend before the fire or what it was that made her such a bad person. Um, And I wish that we really got to know more of that. I think that you can sort of, you know, take it upon yourself to put together what about Casey could have been even worse back then. But I wish that we had gotten a little flashback of that. But Haley made the fatal mistake of leaving her bag behind during all of that. And Casey finds the perfect time to strike. So she takes out the drugs that she bought from Sean and puts them into Haley's backpack. Then she does something that we're going to see from her later on. But this is going to be like one of her quirks where whenever she needs to be emotional, she sort of takes a moment to really huff and puff and get herself all worked up. She picks up her cell phone. She calls the school counselor. And she reports that Haley Jeffers took pills at school, but she doesn't want to get her in trouble. She just didn't know what else to do. 
And so she hangs up, making the phone call anonymous before the school counselor can even ask who she is. Then later we see the school counselor approaching Haley outside at practice with her backpack in hand. And there's also a cop there. And the counselor pulls the drugs from her backpack. And Haley is straight up cuffed and taken away by this police officer, which, you know, it's not to laugh. I'm sure there are, you know, I'm positive there are schools where things like this happened. It just for the scale of the movie, like the way it plays out, it's a little extreme to think that they would put a 16-year-old girl in cuffs for what looks at the very least to be maybe some Coke and pills. I don't know. Do they put you in handcuffs for that as a child? I'm not totally sure. But um, yeah, we see that Casey is watching all of this from behind a car, you know, taking pleasure in the fact that she's fucked Haley's life up. So Taylor and Casey are in Reagan's car after school And she's saying, you know, I can't believe Haley posted that video of you in class on Instagram. And Casey's like, yeah, Haley's always been awful to me. The girls are just like, no, we've got your back now. Moving forward, that's not going to happen. So they pull up to this dingy sort of looking area of town. And Taylor says that she found this place on Yelp. It only had two stars, but it's supposed to have great coffee. And right away, you can tell that this place is not unfamiliar to Casey. And you think it's going to be bad. Like for me, I look into every little glance these people give, which is probably where I get into a lot of trouble with assuming (laughs) what these movies are going to be. But, you know, Casey looks like this place might be where her father is. Maybe her dad didn't die at all. Maybe this is where Sean gets his drugs from the distributor. Um, But it turns out that it's just the coffee shop where her mom works. Her mom works in like a 1950s diner situation, but her uniform is more reminiscent of like a French maid. I don't know how else to describe it, but Reagan and Taylor don't really understand why Casey's so embarrassed. They wish that she had just told them. Uh, They seem to, you know, understand that work is work, which is interesting. Um, I wouldn't expect any less from Reagan, but Taylor... I guess I'm a little bit more surprised that she has such a chill attitude about it. But, you know, Casey just says that it's it's kind of embarrassing for her. And Taylor's like, well, it's a lot better than what my mom does. She drinks Chardonnay and watches Food Network. And Reagan says that they wouldn't judge her on something like that. So, you know, Reagan asked her if she's checked Instagram recently because they say that there's a surprise for her there. She tells her, you know, you're internet famous now. She pulls out her phone. Let's play this clip 3858 to 4009. Why? Because you're internet famous. Well, in our little corner of the world. The whole school has seen it. It went viral. People are actually reposting clips from it. Am I some kind of joke? Casey, calm down. Read the comments. Everyone's talking about how real your speech was. It was inspirational. Yeah, if Haley was trying to humiliate you, it completely backfired. And look at the hashtags. Hashtag most inspirational? Does that mean I'm nominated? Most inspirational? What is that? It's a pretty big deal. Every year, the school votes for the person they felt had the most positive impact. Yeah, it's like homecoming queen, but more meaningful. And they broadcast the winner on the school news show. And all of these people wanted to be you? 
Honey, that's amazing. That is. You deserve it, Casey. And like it or not, you're not going to be able to just blend into the background anymore. Well, this calls for pie. Your mom is my favorite person. <laughs> this <laughs> ending here. Your mom is my favorite person. Uh, do you remember just like when you were a teenager and teenagers would say things like that? You know, like someone's dad shows up with sandwiches and it's like, oh, my God, I'm obsessed with your dad. <laughs> I was laughing about that during this because it's like <laughs> it's one of those things that people <laughs> that people just said like about your mom or dad. Like, oh, my God, I'm like obsessed with your mom. And it's like, why? Because she brought sandwiches like <laughs> she's a much more complex person than this, sweetie. So, you know, Casey looks really upset. She can't win a popularity contest. I mean, this is the nicest thing she owns is what she's wearing. So we go to a little makeover montage uh, for real this time. But it's just Reagan coming out of the bathroom in some like, you know, Casey comes out behind her and she's wearing like a pretty blue dress. It's a pretty cobalt blue dress. It is nothing special. It certainly is nothing that, you know, would lead to the scene it's given later. I'm not sure if this is where Andrew revealed to me that production companies like Marvista, for example, would have like a closet full of clothing that all of the clothing for their next like three movies are pulled from, which I said to him, like the weight that that took off my shoulders, because you know how I am. I'm always like, why are they wearing these clothes? Like, why those clothes? Like, why not just go to Goodwill and find clothes? If you need to, like, you know, dress someone on the cheap, I feel like you'd be better off going to a Goodwill where at least there's more variety. And that's when he explained to me, no, it's probably being pulled from, like, some big closet. And, you know, I mentioned this that I felt like in a movie like this when it's supposed to be, like, the big reveal, the dress reveal. Put some money into the dress, you know, like go make a special day for the the costuming department. Go out and find the dress and like keep it on budget, but work it in. If it's supposed to be a big reveal, I feel like some, you know, sort of hand me down sundress isn't necessarily going to sell me on. Whoa, this is like packing a punch for me right now. This is crazy that she looks so slamming in that dress. So. Later, Reagan drops Casey off and she thinks her for giving, you know, her all these clothes. And she, Reagan's like, oh, no, I have so many clothes. It's actually like a favor to my mom. I just need to get rid of stuff. And it's not played bitchy at all, but it just sort of is. Taylor tells Reagan that she hopes she knows what she's doing. And Taylor's, you know, she's like, you get really attached to people. Um, and obviously, Casey's really attached to you. And before they pull off, they nod at Sean. Um which is like sort of the first indication of, uh, you know, there's going to be a little bit of a thing there. So outside at night, there's a loud crashing and Casey gets up from bed and puts on her sneakers and she grabs a baseball bat, which is <laughs> it's just kind of like, you know, it's aggressive to bring a baseball bat outside with you. Um, in the middle of the night, I probably would have stayed in bed. That's just maybe the teenager I was, but I do like that she's ready to go outside and 
you know, crack some skulls. So she walks around looking for someone, calling for them. There's nothing until she threatens to call the police. And then Haley jumps out and tackles Casey. And she's like, I know it was you. I know you were the one who put drugs in my bag. Casey's like, you brought this upon yourself. And Haley's like, what? Forgetting even after years of torture? Do your new friends even know what you're capable of? So she starts strangling Casey and tells her that she better come clean about everything or she's done. Casey at that point gets a hold of a baseball bat and knocks Haley in the head with it. And the crack of her hitting her head is unreal. So just as she gets up, Sean calls to Casey and he's seen the whole thing. Casey checks Haley's pulse, but her head tilts over and in the yard are her fucking brains. Guys, (laughs) I have never seen anything like this in a Lifetime movie. It is, you know, we did this slightly before Halloween, so we were saying maybe this is appropriate, but Andrew was dumbstruck. I was dumbstruck. I have never seen brains in a yard in a Lifetime movie. It's just, you know, it's like pink, pink matter. And that's the conclusion of this little band-aid here. We're going to get right back into Andrew and I discussing the rest of this scene. Rip to those, you know, 15, 20 minutes of lost audio, but just enjoy the rest of the episode. Thanks for bearing with me. So while Sean does say he's like, we can call the police and tell them that it was an accident. She's like, no, 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 you don't understand. They start asking questions. They're going to trace this back to me because I planted the drugs because of blah, blah, blah. Then you're busted. Whereas like, I wouldn't necessarily say that. Like, I don't think the cops are out testing the coke that Haley allegedly bought to see if that could lead to her killer. Um, But they decide to go bury the body. And... For some reason, one thing that doesn't make it in the grave is a cat necklace that she was wearing that winds up on top of the grave. And the whole reason for holding on to this necklace makes no sense because I'm, you know, I'm not calling it a cheap necklace. It just doesn't look like something you would be able to resell. Well, so here was the thing. I visually, I thought what was so bizarre was that it, it, I thought it was a half heart. I thought. What I thought I was seeing was a half necklace, the one where like it's best friends, where it's like S ends, right? Somebody got B fried. Oh, somebody got. You know what though? I think you're right because there's this. There's like I wrote in my notes later that the way Claire is like working her necklace, like she's wearing this necklace during the Mm. ceremony, and she's fucking working this necklace. Like I mean, you know, girls fiddle, people fiddle with jewelry, but it's unbelievable. That makes sense that it might have been like two, because I think it was definitely a cat face, and maybe it was just like two cats that I don't know, whatever. But you're right. I think it was a friendship necklace. Um, So it made so to me, it made no. It made no sense unless you unless that had been something that had been planted that Casey had an interest in. But it certainly has no the idea that it has resale value. And this guy who's selling, I mean, maybe he was just trying to get the money back from the the drugs that he had to like give to Casey. But like the idea that somehow that necklace was going to be worth something. I mean, I guess she was supposed to be from the rich part of town. But that seemed to be particularly sloppy for a guy who's already caught a charge. Well, maybe, you know, that's a commentary on his taste level. 
Yeah. That he thought that that weird best friends necklace would be mage money for him. Um, so then we get a title card. It's a one month later. <laughs> and wow, you will not believe how much happens in a month, guys. She's at her vanity. She has a new wig, which a lot of people are annoyed about in the internet discourse surrounding this film because people are saying like, that's just the real actress's hair. That's like her, just her actual hair. And Oh, I didn't think of it. I think that is true. I think they're right. She's not wearing a wig. Yeah, that's well, I, yeah, because especially the way that they have the hair styled, like there's roots and I'm like, unless she got like some sort of a weave, like, you know, cause I think maybe that would be the way to go to, to actually, make that thing work but uh, yeah that's just her real hair so that was that was weird right that's right i thought maybe one of her friends bought her like a fancy lace front or something like one of her rich friends was like oh here's like a hollywood wig baby Um, that's what it was supposed to be right the idea is we're supposed to still think there's a wig there we don't think a month later she grew all her hair back right yeah no it (laughs) is it's a it's a weird sort of uh it's a weird choice that they made, but it, what would Lifetime be if it wasn't for weird choices? Mm. So Casey's making a video for her budding social media, um, a plea for Haley to come home. Let's play 4514 to 4612. Haley, I'm so sorry. I know we never quite saw eye to eye, but I don't think that means you're a bad person. Your family is worried about you. Your friends at school miss you. I know that running away seems like the easiest option, but trust me, it's just going to hurt more in the long run. Facing the consequences of your actions is scary, but it's even scarier to be out there all alone. I don't know where I would be without my friends and followers. Thanks for watching. Remember to like and comment and use the hashtag HaleyComeHome so she knows how much we all care about her. Until next time. All right. So she's. I mean, this is cunning. She's fake. Yeah. She's fake. I will say one thing about this actress, though, is that she seems to have a similar problem to me, which is selling sincerity even when she means it the most. I feel like she seems sarcastic a little bit all the time. Right. Well, it's right. Well, it's interesting. It's like that performance that that we just listened to sounds like an actress trying to sound disingenuous to make sure we know she's being disingenuous. Right. Like she doesn't seem like she's like, you know, she doesn't seem like she's really doing a, a really good job of putting out a real Instagram video. She's sort of saying to us, yeah, this is all bullshit. Like I'm, I, you know, I'm just really laying it on thick. Uh, but I do think her plan is a brilliant one. The one where you're like, where did you go when you know exactly where she's buried? I think is a solid move, especially given her most inspirational trajectory. God, imagine how good this movie is if you had just turned on the TV right at that scene. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's start- totally different movie. Well, it starts to really pick up. You also don't have to look at the wig. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. You were uh, saved a lot if you were stuck in traffic that day. So Casey's on the cheer team now, and Claire's watching from the bleachers when Taylor comes up to her and asks her why she's milking this broken leg, mm. which is a thing. There's always people milking their broken bone. I will say, though, she's a real team player because if my leg was broken and I was out for the semester, I would not be that bitch with a with a wound showing up to practice just to support. Yeah. I guess that's why I'm not like a cheerleader, though. And Claire says that she's just upset about Casey. And Taylor's like, come on, Queen Bee. There's enough room from the hive for all of us. And I was like, okay, um, Miss Inspirational. Like, are you inspirational person material yourself? So Claire tells her that Casey doesn't live like that. Um, if you get in her way, she will get rid of you. Taylor says she's paranoid. And Claire says, no, it's weird that every time something bad happens, it benefits Casey. She breaks her leg. Casey gets on the team. Haley makes fun of her, gets busted for drugs and goes missing. Casey becomes a social media influencer. Taylor thinks that's insane. She's not like a sociopath who's hell-bent on revenge. And Claire's like, no, she's a messed-up chick. She used to see the counselor every week for anger issues. Mm. Taylor's like, well, yeah, I mean, I would too if I went through everything that she did with the fire. And Claire's like, no, 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 you don't get it. When we were all friends, if any of us stepped out of line, Casey would put us in place. If anything, Casey became a better person after the accident. And now it's all coming back. They're creating a monster. Claire says, if you keep it up, maybe when she's done with you, you'll disappear too. Which I was like, ooh, harsh realities, girlfriend. Like, that's, you know, your own best friend you're sort of talking about, yeah, really. Yeah. Um, do you think she thinks Haley's dead? I mean, I think, I think she thinks, yeah, I think she thinks Haley's dead. Well, or, I mean, maybe she hopes that she's, but I don't, I don't think there's any way that she would have been in the world where she thought, Haley was going to flee. Right. Right. Like that seems, that seems like a weird thing for any teenager to think another teenager might do. Like, especially Haley, no offense. Yeah. <laughs> like she's not the one that I'd be like, Oh, if anyone from school was going to leave and start a new life, it was Haley. So, um, we, Cut now to the scene that we talked about at the very beginning, that shot of the three girls walking down the hallway being popular. But now our girl, Casey, is in the group. Mm -hmm. This is where she's going to flirt it up with Vance, 4836 to 4910. And I'll let let this scene play before we really get into how hilarious it is that Vance is hot property at this school. Hey, Vance. Okay, so you look nice today. Oh, this whole thing? <laughs> so you uh, going to Reagan's party tonight? Uh, yeah, I practically planned it. Of course you did. Uh, there's something I was actually hoping to ask you. Oh, do you want to just ask me here? No, not here, and definitely not this over. Uh, see you tonight? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Sweet. Now, Andrew Waller, I know you probably did not watch Degrassi: The Next Generation. Uh, um, no, I've seen a couple of episodes, but it was not. Uh, that was not my. That was not my jam. It wasn't your generation. I understand, yeah. and like this is the thing. So Spinner is one of the guys that show, and he has sort of like this mealy mouth, sort of like doofusy guy, sort of thing, and. 
on Degrassi, they never like just went out and like casted like the absolute hottest teen to play like the hot teenager at the school. And I feel like they were almost taking a note from Degrassi on this because this is probably the hottest guy in town if you live in a town with 600 people. Yeah, I was I was surprised. But, you know, like there does seem to be a move. I can't remember what movie I was just watching where there they there does seem to be a move to do, cast more. Oh, I thought um in Cobra Kai, right? All of the actors in Cobra Kai are not what you would you know. Each one of them is off just a little bit from the what we used to cast in Nine Hundred Two and O and Dawson's Creek or whatever. Like they weren't casting the hottest person; they're obviously casting a more normal looking person. Now Vance to me is actually one of those guys that from a distance looks like he's supposed to look but then when you get closer it's really not all coming together and his acting is horrible yeah the tight shots are not kind to vance and i will say that it might even be that he looks about 40 yeah well there's yeah there's that he's definitely like 25 years old he's definitely yeah i don't know i found I found him to be really like weird and stiff and awkward. Uh, in- and that's what was sad about Spinner on Degrassi as well, because Spinner started to go bald by 18. Mm. So like he, he started to look mad old. And so it just was a, you know, a little uh, too close to home for me, a Degrassi all-star, but. You know, the girls are teasing Casey because they're like, oh, God, could you be any more obvious about wanting to get with Vance? So after school, Reagan drops off Casey and Taylor makes a comment about Sean, who she calls the creepy neighbor. And Reagan's like, I actually think he's kind of cute. And I'm like, that's not a hot take, Reagan. He's actually like objectively kind of a cute guy. Um, But Taylor, you know, is probably viewing him through the Barbie eyeballs that Sean thinks that they have. And um, Casey decides to sell him out. She's like, literally, wait, you guys don't know. He deals to half the kids at Jefferson. He's probably where Haley got all those pills before she went AWOL. Why would she tell them that? That was really the right. That was weird, too, unless I, I didn't I didn't understand if that was just somebody s- wanting to keep. See, I thought they were going to do a whole thing where she wasn't going to want sh- like that. She that she wanted everybody like that. She didn't want. Reagan to go after Sean. She wants Vance. Like that, all of that was going to be sort of one big crazed problem. But that's not it. She's pimping Sean out whenever she can after this. It's just weird. I didn't know if this was one of those things where it was like she just, just wanted to be cool and know stuff. Yeah, it was like a weird lack of judgment for someone who's as calculated as she is Mm -hmm. in almost every other move of this. So um, the girls pull off and Sean makes his way over to Casey and he's like, oh, why are you talking to those Barbie girls or whatever? And she's like, they're actually really cool. And um, they would not judge you at all. Like they they're really like cool girls. You don't even know them. And um He says that, you know, we haven't talked since Haley, and she says that she doesn't really want to talk about it. It's not like they meant to do it. And, you know, he should come out with them that night. There's a party at Reagan's and will help him get his mind off of things. He can make and he can make sure that she gets home safely. He's like, there's always an angle with you. And I was like, oh, God, good. Sean, call her out. Mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah, it's the easiest way for me to get what I want. He's like, what's that? And she's like, all of this, my normal life that was taken away from me. 
So she tells him to meet her in the parking lot after the game. Um, By the way, this is that's gets, an, that was a good example of a line that I really liked, right? Because it's just like as a screenwriter, you're like you're telling you're telling the reader exactly what is going on in her head in a way that you don't want to have to like say afterwards to explain it. You know, that's the one where you send that script in and the executive and some executives like, I don't know, I didn't get what was up with her. And then the other executives like, well, no, all of her normal life was taken from her and she wants it back. Right. right? They parrot exactly. the line and you feel good because you're like, yeah, I just put it in there. I just put it all in there. I love that network. No, baby. Yeah. No, you need, I, I, that's Scott. It's such a part of the fucking game. And I like literally get agitated thinking about it, but it's truly like, yeah, that's, that's a thing. That's a whole thing. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to just write exactly what it is in there. And then maybe, Hey, listen, if it works without it, great. But like, why not just get everybody on the same page? But at the same time, though, it's so interesting because I can understand the impulse to not put that in there because I'm not sure that she is getting back any life that she had before this. This is, seems like a bigger, better version. Right, right. Well, there was definitely a plan. She obviously had a plan that was upturned. I mean, that's, I guess, what how I read it, right? That that there was this, the the person who wasn't, but in a weird way, it's odd, too, because she's gotten all of this on the back of having been scarred, right? There's no, there's no <laughs> real, there's no real growth here figuring it out. She's just sort of like happy to get back here. I don't know. I don't know. She seems pretty, pretty one, uh, one dimensional. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, and then, okay, this is interesting. So she gets inside and her mom is crying and Casey's like, Oh, is Harlan drinking again? <laughs> He says that he got laid off today in case he asks, you know, when are you going to dump him? We don't need him around anymore, says how she views people. Uh, Laura wipes her tears and says that she has to get to work and to just be quiet around the house because Harlan is sleeping. So once she leaves, Casey's alone and she is thinking, which is never good with Casey. So she grabs a butcher knife from the kitchen and wakes Harlan, who is passed out in a chair by holding the knife to his neck, 5533 to 5450. Wake up. Wake up. What the hell? Be careful. I don't have a tight grip and I'd hate for it to slip. You've worn out your welcome here. Actually, you wore it out a long time ago. I just wasn't in the place to do something about it. You're gonna leave tonight. And if you don't, I'll call the cops. Tell them how you treat us, how you hit me when I don't give you what you want. No one's gonna believe that. Oh, really? I've seen the way you look at me. You really think they'll believe you over me? <gasps> Officer, please, I tried to stop him. He said he wanted me, needed me. What the hell is wrong with you? You know, I guess I'm just fed up with the hand I've been dealt. I'm gonna go to my room now. And when I get back, you're not gonna be here. And if I ever see you near my mom again, I will gut you like a fish. (laughs) 
what the fuck? I mean, I got to be honest with you. Both of those actors, tour de force, let's put this on your reel. I really, that's where I wrote, wow, Casey's a pretty good actress there. And Harlan was like, sort of like, what? Like both of them. Are you legit? To get into that scene. Are you doing a bit? I am not. I honestly, I wrote, I wrote my notes. Great scene with Harlan. She really sells it here. That's what I wrote. Oh my God. That is like, we are not on the same page, dude. <laughs> I thought Harlan did a good job because he was like just fucking waking up unemployed to like his psycho girlfriend, like his girlfriend's psycho daughter holding a knife to his neck. Listen, um, you've been standing Harlan since the beginning of this podcast. And I'm just calling you out for it right I now. know. <laughs> no, I think that like she was a little, she was a little overwrought in that, in that for me, but uh yeah i thought you know i it was it was an interesting scene i think the part that takes me out of it every time is that i don't think harlan's giving her the up and down like i don't i don't it's it's not that the police wouldn't believe her if um she said like oh my mom's boyfriend is perving on me and beats me if i don't sleep with him i think that's believable I just don't feel like we've established a relationship that Harlan looks at her with any sort of anything, but just disgust any of the time. Yeah, no, he definitely has not been. There's none of that. Like there is no leering. There is only there's he only seems to be kind of like vicious to her from, you know, I don't know, from a different standpoint. Yeah. And just as someone who had like a mom who was dating when I was growing up, even when I fucking hated the guys, nothing like that ever came to my mind. I was never like, oh, I'm just going to tell someone that you're trying to make me sleep with you. Like, I that's just that makes me want to vomit. But I mean, I realize that she must have she's seen some like, you know, she's seen some shit in her life. Um, It just it really sort of I was I think. Yeah, I don't think that Harlan left because he was convinced by her performance. I feel like <laughs> he left because he was just like, "I this is way over my head. Like, something about the purity of him waking up from that nap and just being confused was really relatable to me. Well, I think, well, it's funny because she's, I love that she starts the scene with like a little vocal fry, right? She's like, mm-hmm. hey, Harlan, right? She sort of throws that and then he's just like, what's happening? Yeah, I, she does have a little like a uh, sex phone, sex uh, phone sex guy lady. Yeah, voice, doesn't she? Mm-hmm. F- phone sex guy lady, <laughs> and that, she was going Mine. going for that, and she nailed it. Oh my god, that was very like man camera woman person television. Like that's literally like what I just did. My brain just broke. Okay, so um, she leaves him with a little nick on his neck to let him know that mm-hmm. she's fucking capable of murder, baby. Yep. So Harlan goes out to his car with, with his bag and he leaves and Casey watches from inside with this look of satisfaction on her face and they cut to commercial right before you can tell that like the take wasn't going to be usable anymore because she starts to really turn it up. I watched it almost mm. in slow-mo to see if the actress's face was about to get cray-cray. And give us like maybe a little bit of what's known as now is like the Debbie Ryan look. Um, and she doesn't she she starts to go ham with that with that uh, corner of the mouth smile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they cut. I love it. I love it when you can catch someone cutting on someone's bad acting. Mm. 
Brilliant. So they get to the party that night and Sean's like very concerned that he's not going to fit in at Reagan's place. And basically, (laughs) Casey tells him that he probably has a chance with Reagan because she thinks he's really cute. So he should play his cards right. And he's like, you want me to hook up with your friend? And he actually seems a little like hurt about it at first, which was yeah, they definitely it was unclear whether or not they had because she says remember she's in the garage she says something about like can you do that for me for old times sake and you're like what exactly happened in those old times other than the cover-up of the of the of the burning bed but like yeah there's i don't know if they had hooked up in the past by the way just as a side note party scene they spent some money on the party scene there was a good extra good extra situation it was a good house the scene looked nice. You know, there was a couple early on, there were a couple establishing shots of the high school that I was like, oof, I know that establishing shot. You know, you had like right. four extras on the day. You don't really have a real high school. You know, we're going to be using that, you know, locker room for seven different scenes. Like, I get what's happening. This was like a legit, felt like a party, a high school party, you know, and, and, and it felt like a rich girl's house. They, that's where they always turn it out in Lifetime movies. And I would love to hear your perspective on that. Is it because like it's a totally different type of location shoot when they shoot? Because I think they shot that in the house. Well, the the big, right, right. Well, so well, so you probably, I mean, the, the one thing they probably did do, right, is you go and shoot, you shoot, you, you get as many extras as you can. You really don't want extras like being there all night, right? So you probably try to second the sun, the, the, or maybe you went and shot before the sun went down, right, you went inside, you shot all the stuff that where it doesn't have any extras, right? You shot the laundry room, you shot the bedroom, you shot those sort of things. And then once the sun goes down, that's when you bring the extras in and you only bring them in for like half a day. And so you're not paying, you're just not paying as much and you're able to get more bodies in there and you're really only getting them for those couple of scenes. And so it just becomes just a financial issue, just like extras just cost a certain amount of money. Oh, for sure. And then, you know, and then you've got to feed them and everything like that. And so, you know, when you want, when you want to bring in, and it does take a lot of people to make a backyard look like it's populated, you know? Oh, for sure. No, we've had like, I mean, lifetime really does. It's either the, the house party is such a fucking rager that you're like, dude, (laughs) No high schooler lives like this. Like no high sc- this is like a music video or it's embarrassing. Yeah, and I think you try and, and yeah, you try to and it's funny cuz you can probably tell, you know, they that you you know that essentially you have got, you know, 30 or 40 people, you get them in, then you dismiss most of them but you keep six people for some of those inside coming out of the bathroom, walking up the stairs, so the flow of it feels like oh, this party is continuous so what do you think do you think that the next day because they're gonna we're gonna see a scene when they all wake up in the morning do you think that was shot the same day i mean but first they're i mean if they're on such a tight schedule right you could have done a half day half day thing right where you start right. shooting at noon right or you start shooting at two two in the afternoon mm-hmm. and so then if you shoot it, start shooting at two in the afternoon, and then you bring the extras in after lunch, which would be whatever eight, and the sun's down, 
And then you can shoot all of the, so you shot all the indoor scenes quickly. And then for the first six hours of the day and the second six hours of the day, you get all of your things. And then it's two in the morning, which means you're going to have a tough turnaround the next day. But then if you do that on a Friday, you're fine. Right. You do. Okay. So there's like probably some tricks that they're using scheduling wise. Got a good AD who was able to make it happen. And, and by the way, is very proud of it. Yeah. Well, dude, it's uh it is no small feat feat when you think about all this stuff. Like we definitely rose to production, but like also with mad respect because it's not easy to turn around something like this in two weeks. That's legitimate. No, and, I and, mean, they, and they got I mean, there weren't a lot of scenes where you're like, oh, they had no I mean, that's sort of like what you were talking about where some of the entrances were because probably what happened is they were like, Let's just shoot this all in one shot, get a couple of quick pickup shots, and so they ha- you have to kind of pause on the shot mm-hmm. so the person can come in um, and they have to come in quickly and it's weird. But like other than that, I mean, this seemed to have, a, you know, good flourishes and I, I wasn't feeling like they were missing, you know, we weren't missing close ups. We weren't missing other big parts of it. Yeah, I feel like I'm understanding exactly what you're saying. I'm I'm even like going further on it, trying to think about like if they how they filmed and also the fact that taylor and casey one or both of them are in like nearly every scene right. like casey did what what scenes don't have casey right well that's well that's the funny thing that was the funny thing that we had on the american pie movie where like the, because there was there was such a big cast because it was like all these kids that were in the one fraternity and the other fraternity that like we had some people on for like a run of the show because they had to be in the background of so many scenes that they were just like that was great man like i got paid for like 30 days i really had three lines you know that would happen a lot whereas in a movie like this you have to be a lot smarter right and you probably have those girls on there you don't have as big of a cast and you just make sure you get the most out of them rough yeah dude that's fucking yeah it's a lot i mean like i just didn't i mean i really admire it like well so how does costuming work well so if you were to do a lifetime movie oh yeah well well the first thing would be i don't know how much i would just have the actors bring some of those extra costumes right like you would have the you know you probably would be able to go in i would imagine that mar vista has uh their own don't you think they probably have their own wardrobe department and, and and probably have stuff that they bought for three movies. That would like explain literally. You don't know how much that would explain for me. That would like that would fix like so many like brain worms I have to know that they're just pulling from the same closet for all three of like these movies. That would help my brain so much because I really obsess over how these people keep getting the same basic shit. <laughs> in every movie it like drives me nuts like i complain about it regularly and it makes so much sense that they're pulling from like that season's wardrobe closet at the studio yeah i would think and 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 most of the i mean extras are just wearing whatever they wear right you tell them it's going to be nighttime at a party right and you hope that they show up with, with no logos <laughs> right right you do something like that i mean van i mean the guys i mean vance wears the jacket every I mean, every scene, you know, uh, you know, for most of it, the girls are tougher because like, you know, if you want a girl, you know, the, as you notice with the blue dress, like 
you know, it's tough to sort of find those deals. I mean, most guys, you can just go to Old Navy, you know, and get a slim fit pant, you know, and a cool t-shirt for, for 15 bucks. And they do. (laughs) But like, you know, I will say though, it does drive me a little nuts when they try to put aside something like, you know, in this movie, what it could have used is like one special dress. Mm -hmm. Like that dress reveal in Taylor's bathroom could have been fantastic. And what that would have bought us in goodwill, like as viewers being like, okay, she's going to snap when she wins this award. Like, and I just wish I'm like, Marvista, can I get you like a gift? I'll send the gift card to go buy the dress. I want this like to, you know, for everyone. Well, it's, and well, the, I guess the best thing you can say is that uh, other than say that, which I obviously I noticed too, because they didn't do a good enough uh, montage scene is that the, the, is that, you know, Reagan and Taylor, like at no point did their costumes stick out to me. You know, the, no. they, they all seem to be, in a fairly decent place costume wise enough that it never stuck out that they looked different than they should. Um, so that's, right. I mean, that's a testament to what they had to work with that they were able to put that together. By the way, do the, do the actors ever listen to the podcast and then reach out to you? You know what is so funny? I was going to ask you next if you knew who my favorite lifetime writer is and I'll tell you in a minute, but no, I have been incredibly lucky to have, multiple people who have been in the Lifetime movies that we've covered and people who have been in movies that we haven't covered. And not only are they so fucking sweet and supportive and like love the show and get the bit. Like I've had people be like, no, I'm in the movies, but like, I want to come on and like roast it. Like not even my movie. Like I just love roasting them. And I'm like, I love that you guys can have that relationship with it because I'll never forget a conversation I had with um, the woman who played Jolene, who was um, this sister in Mugs and Jugs, which is what we call the Haley Duff movie we did with Blair Bercy, I think in season two. And I don't remember the name of the movie. We just call it Mugs and Jugs. But she reached out to me and was like, listen, like, no, I totally like, I love that I did Lifetime movies. Like I'm an actress. Like, you take what work you can get, especially like, you know, in between not being a big star, like you got to take stuff. And it was, it's a job. And like, I definitely see the humor in it. And like, I was like, cause that was her sort of response to me being like, Oh my God, I hope you're not (laughs) like appalled because I feel so, um, you know, just also like, I, I love these movies. That's what this comes from. From me is like a place of really loving these movies. And I give them, as you see, at times credit in odd places where I'm like, oh, they must be doing this. Or like, no, you're not reading into how much I love this performance right now. (laughs) Like it really like I love these movies deeply. And I try to only ask on people that see the great in them, like the the goodness in them rather. Well, that's, I mean, but, uh, that's, I mean, to me, right. I mean, cause it's, I find the podcast so fascinating cause it is, it's such a close reading, right. Of, of <laughs> these, obsessive. of these movies, but it, you know, but in a, but it's almost like a, it's almost, almost like an academic way, right. Like that, that, or a, whatever that, you know, like a, like a, uh, you know, uh, 
I don't know, like you could be writing a paper. It's like dead poet society. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you're, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> you are, you are pulling it out. You are finding the signs and the symbols in it. It's a semiotic breakdown, you know, that you could write as a dissertation. And it only, that can only come from somebody who really enjoys it. And I got to say, I mean, for me, I mean, I, I watch a lot of this and I'm, we're talking about it. We're talking about, I mean, I, you know, I, I wish that this, you know, in a, in a lot of ways, this is the business I would have gotten into, right? Because imagine you just be making, you can make three of these a year, you know, and you'd just be, and, and you're playing around. Dude, I, with do you know, oh my God, people tell me probably twice a week, I get people coming to me being like, Molly, why don't you just write Lifetime movies for a living? You fucking love them. And I'm like, Cause like, I don't know if I could achieve that greatness. Like one thing I have grown <laughs> to really appreciate are the people that just fucking churn these movies out. And also the people that like did it as a one-off and like take themselves very seriously in one way or another <laughs> of their career. I, I honestly, it's such a smart hustle. Like, and if you feel if you feel like you're having the fun of creating something within like the guidelines and limitations that you have, then this is a fucking baller career. Yeah, and if you can drop any self-consciousness that you might have, knowing that it is going to be a 15 or 16 day shoot, knowing that there are going to be some seams, right, which I think is hard for people to do, you know, I think the, the movies end up better because you're really writing, you're writing, you're happily writing towards Oh, we have to write everything in this locker room, right? And that's do we bring this to Lifetime? Written by Miles, directed by Andrew Waller. I mean, do we bring that package to Lifetime? You know what's so I've got the. I can get in the room. I got to tell you. So you on. So is is Blue is is Blue a new cat or has Blue been around for a little bit? I got Blue um, in like right when quarantine started. Like I guess maybe April. All right. So you had it was funny because I was listening to one of the podcasts. You were talking about Blue, and you were talking about that you woke up and Blue was on. So I'm about to I'm about to pitch an idea that I don't even think you could do for a lifetime movie because it would cost too much. But you had Blue was on your like your windpipe, and it reminded me of when I uh, dated a girl who had a cat who hated me. And that I would wake up at her place and the cat would be, you know, just like a like kind of on my head, like did whatever, just wanted to push me off the bed. And then I was like, well, what if you had like an actual homicidal cat that every time that the girl had a boyfriend, he would like meet with some sort of, you know, he would trip, he would fall and would all be the cat was driving and, and murdering the, the, the okay the well and i was like oh that sounds that sounds like a lifetime movie where you've got this vicious cat and and then she keeps getting in trouble because it's like five of her last boyfriends have met weird ends and like is that her or is it the cat and then she realizes it's the cat but she loves the cat what's she gonna do about that dude that's a fucking sick idea first of all and second of all i think they definitely would make that i know it's like you know lifetime would figure it out dude they would they would have like 12 gray cats in there right. you know I mean, working around the, the clock the biggest problem is you got because you got the cat you got the cat trainer i'm i mean i'm already there busted. would be an animatronic cat in the mix too though Oh yeah just like a little but, paw like a little animatronic paw yeah and like i think they definitely would make that movie because like 
especially the straighter it's played. Like, it's really, I think that's really funny. And they also did the Doug the Pug movie. Granted, they did have Aubrey Plaza to voice Doug the Pug, but, or whatever. What's it? No, Grumpy Cat, Doug right. the Pug. No, no it's Grumpy Cat. Wait, by the way, does Doug the Pug exist? Or did you just. Doug the Pug exists. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's like a. He's like, you know, it's sad to say he kind of took over for Marnie. Oh, like, right. <laughs> so fucked up. <laughs> uh, you know, but like as Marnie sort of fell back a little bit on the circuit, I would say Doug the Pug has really been like the social dog. Right. Like he's right. out like taking pics with celebs. Oh, but, I see. Yeah, yeah, he's got the tongue. Yeah, he's got some tongue issues. I see. And he dresses up like the celebrities he's going to meet. Uh. <laughs> that's a bit that's a thing yeah i believe it. Bit, All right. Right? like he shows up like dressed like jvn to meet tan or something right <laughs> that'd be cute she introduces sean and reagan and you know taylor's not really having that but then she's gotta haul ass over to vance yeah. and talk to him about this you know previous conversation they were gonna have so he's like listen uh Let's go inside because like he kind of forgot that they were even going to talk. Did you get that? I, I think I didn't have I did not have the talk on my radar as being something oh. to track. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, because it was about in the hallway. They were like, we got to talk at the party tonight. Ah, right. And to girls, that's like <laughs> huge. So he um he seemingly forgot the talk. He leads her to a laundry room in the house and. That was a weird choice. We're going to play this scene. Keep in mind that she thinks she's about to get asked to be his girlfriend, which I guess says a lot about her expectations. Cause as far as I know, the two of them haven't even really been talking. And then we're going to hear a scene after of Reagan and Taylor in the bathroom. Um, 57, 21 to one hour and 30 seconds. Well, this is cozy. So, what's on your mind? I, um, sorry, I'm not really good at this kind of thing. It's okay. It's just me. Okay, uh, <laughs> here goes. I like someone, like really like them, but I don't really want to make a move until I know they feel the same way. I understand, but I think I know who you're talking about, and I'm pretty sure they feel the same way. God, is it that obvious? Kind of, <laughs> but it's cute. <laughs> I knew I could count on you. So, you'll talk to her for me? Her? Yeah, Taylor. Casey, you okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm just gonna get some fresh air.
don't matter. Good. Maybe now you'll listen to some reason. Oh, not this again, Taylor. Reagan, he is a drug dealer. Okay, isn't there someone else you can be a bad girl with? What are you, my mom? Okay, you're drunk and clearly not thinking straight. I mean, why is Casey even friends with him? Isn't that very concerning? What is that supposed to mean? Haven't you been noticing she's been acting different lately? She's happy. That's a good thing. Sure, sure. But also kind of manipulative. Did you see that video she posted about Haley? They weren't even friends. That's ridiculous. Maybe. But what if it's not? I talked to Claire. Claire's going to trash talk Casey. She hates her. Haven't you ever wondered why? You know, maybe some of the things she's saying is true. Why lie? Did you know that Casey had to go to counseling for anger issues? I'm just saying we don't really know her, so why play with fire? You don't have to adopt the stray kid just because you feel sorry for her. I mean, look at some of her posts. She copies everything you do. It's creepy. This is insane. I'm going to find Sean. Reagan. Reagan, wait. Reagan. Dude, I would die if any of that happened to me. Well, there's a, there's several bizarre parts. Uh, do we want to start with the Vance? But, I think we got to start all, with Vance. Yeah, I mean, I, I just... Well, first of all, has anybody ever done... We've seen it in like a dozen movies, but has anybody ever actually started a conversation with somebody that had a crush on them and, and saying, I think I have a crush on somebody, but, you know, but, but meant the person in front of them? Right. Like, was there? Um, yes, I think that I think that happened quite a bit in like middle school. Okay. The thing is, is definitely it's the age. It's the age that they are to be doing that shit. So that kind of reversal of a thing where he, where you could do like. Yeah. Testing it out. Right. Oh, OK. OK. So, all right. Being like, yeah, have you heard if like I have a crush on anyone? Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I think like I remember that being a thing and like, yeah, that was definitely a thing. I feel like I did that and had that mostly done like, you know, like my friend, like seeing friends try it out. Like that was like a move. Right. Okay. All right. So that's so so that's a legit move that she thinks is happening. But not with 17 year olds. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) they're too old for this. Not with not with Vance, the 31 year old PE coach who is randomly at the party. Dude, he works at Jiffy Lube for sure, like management position. But yeah, like I will say that, yeah, I just simply wanted to die for her. Like if that was if that was a real person going in there with that much confidence too. that's the thing about (laughs) this is where she's a little drunk with confidence. I think that that's what happens with her. She's sort of hit a point into her behavior this evening really um reflects that so she goes in assumes that there's this crush thing then she leaves and she hears herself getting dragged to filth by this bitch taylor who is saying everything she is saying is totally true um you know you shouldn't your friend should not be hooking up with the drug dealer don't you think it's getting a little bit out of control with this girl we met one month ago (laughs) it's just a lot right and then she reagan is drunk 
in a surprising way for the Reagan we know, right? I think it's an interesting shade of Reagan. I just wish they had foreshadowed it earlier with her being a little tipsy outside at the party. But the fact that she's like throw up drunk, like, who are you, my mother, kind of abusive drunk, you know, um, and, and has this sort of bad boy thing she wants to act out was not sort of up until that point, that was not my Reagan. No, I agree. I agree. I mean, that's actually an excellent point. I mean, I was going to say I could see Reagan absolutely getting that drunk, um, just not as quickly as we saw. She must have been pre-gaming. Yeah. Full of nerves. But yeah, I mean, this is, um, you know, this is definitely where things take a turn in the movie. Um, New sort of goals are now officially being set. So she notices that um, Taylor's phone was left on the floor of the bathroom and she goes and snatches that thing up. And we see that uh, Casey, right? She's like noticing that Sean and Reagan are about to hook up and they go into her beautiful teenage bedroom with the purple neon lighting and they start making out. And Casey is standing there with Taylor's phone, getting all of it on video like a creep. Right. And then, and she's going to upload it, but I'm a little confused at why Taylor gets upset that a perfectly framed Top Gun sex makeout of her is on. I will say <laughs> it also, I also was like, girl, this could have been a worse look. Like, let's face it. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, yeah. You're making out with like the Robert Pattinson of the Lifetime movie, you know, like perfectly backlit. And all you did was make out, you know, I, I don't know why she's not just like thrilled. I mean, I, maybe she knows the social strata there more than we do, where she's like, I'm going to be labeled, you know, a slut. I don't want that. Maybe she's not a Tumblr girl. You know what I mean? Maybe she doesn't understand the potential that an aesthetic like that could have on a platform like Tumblr. I don't know. But it, yeah, it's a great moment. And they wake up the next morning. She just shifts it to OnlyFans, like immediately. Oh, yeah. That's where she's God going. Bless. <laughs> so in the morning, Reagan wakes up, Taylor's on the couch. Um, and Taylor, like, thought that they'd be back on by then. Um, but they are not back on. And she, Reagan's like, I need coffee before I can even talk to you. So she makes a cup of coffee. And looks at her phone, as we all do. And all of a sudden, she's like, what did you do, Taylor? And this post is all over social media. It's gone completely wide at this point. Um, she's terrified that people are going to think she's a slut. There's a whole argument about like, you know, where Taylor's phone was when. But all we know is that she does wake up next to it. Um, Taylor puts it together. Um well, Taylor puts it together that that she dropped her phone, and that's when Casey was near them, and really sort of, and so and so really, and so says, "Hey, look, who are you going to believe? Why would I ever?" I mean, again, going back to your like, Taylor is the friend to have. Taylor seems to be pretty smart about it. She's like, "Why would I post that? What what in my life have you ever seen me do?" other than be the most supportive, awesome friend. Yeah, because Taylor gets drunk, but she keeps it cute. You know, like she remembers yeah. enough to put together a mystery like that. Um, and Taylor kicks her out. 
So Reagan tells Casey that she doesn't know what she's going to do. Everyone at school is going to see this. And Casey tells her that this happened to her too. Remember, just stay home from school for the week. And by Friday, there'll be a new scandal. And I'm like, girl, are you sure you're not the one who drinks Chardonnay and watches Food Network? Like, that is (laughs) (laughs) such a ridiculous, uh, lazy, but uh, what a wonderful line of thought that would be to have, honestly. Um, and Reagan says everyone's going to call her a slut. She didn't do anything but make out because Sean said that she was too drunk to go further than that. I love that for Sean consent awareness. Mm-hmm. So, um, he's a good guy. I mean, he's just one of the many people that being around Casey has just been a disaster for Sean's a product of the system, dude. And yeah. then he also just happens to live next door to a psychopath who's super cute, you know? So, yeah. Um, Casey promises her that things are going to be okay. Besides, she needs to be there for the most inspirational student award. <laughs> I know. She brings that up. Like, you're just like, just, you know, like, find your moment. This just doesn't seem to be the moment to be talking about that. But then, as Sean has stated, there's always an angle with her. So, um, she says, if anyone's going to try and hurt you, they're going to have to get through me first, which I will say she would be the only person that could potentially comfort me by saying that because (laughs) whenever people say that, I'm like, Oh really? You're just going to fight anyone who's mean to me. (laughs) So (laughs) she asked her um, if she saw Harlan before he left last night, because she's been calling him and he won't answer. And she's like, Oh yeah, mom, Harlan left yesterday and said, he's not coming back. It's good riddance as far as I'm concerned. And so her mom is like, so confused that this is not, you know, because she doesn't care anymore. She's not even faking caring. So her mom's like, what do you mean? Like, you know, so I I thought that this scene was actually Laura's most overly intense scene, considering what she's going to have to face emotionally next. She was so mm. it was she seemed so sad in this scene. It was almost like a metaphor for like the more Casey became stuck in her cycle of just self-serving behavior, Laura became less and less of a person. You know what I, you know what I, I hadn't thought of till this moment. Do you think Laura for a moment thought that Casey and Harlan ran off together and that it had all been an act? <laughs> uh, I know, but that's, uh, that's so sad. She would think that that is because she really got upset. <laughs> Yeah, she was. She woke up in the morning. She's just like, I've been calling your phone. Harlan's missing. This is weird. Maybe there's been a real will they or won't they between Casey mm-hmm. and Harlan playing out at home that we just didn't see that they didn't have enough room in the movie to tell us. And since the new wig, <laughs> and since the new wig, there was like some legit. Yeah, things have escalated over the last. Yeah. So Vance is sitting alone outside at school when Casey comes up to him to say hi. And he says that he's so disappointed in Taylor after the video. He was an idiot to have a crush on her. Oh, yeah. This is like a tender scene, right? They're sitting on the, the benches, right? Dude, this this scene is wild. First of all, I, I was an idiot to have a crush on her. I'm pretty sure that like almost never do crushes completely go away. <laughs> right. That quickly. Well, no, certainly not because of like a vague moral failing. I mean, most of the girls <laughs> that I've liked there's no way that like if they if they like if they messed with somebody else, would that crush really go away? 
Right, exactly. So he's like, oh, like, oh, man, I was an idiot. So Casey's like, oh, you know what? He's like, Casey, you would never do something like that. You're a good person. I hope that you win the most inspirational person. (laughs) (laughs) He announces that he's going to be the one who announces the winner on air and he hopes it's her. He puts his hand on his, um, she puts her hand on his knee and suddenly it's on. These two are like making out like crazy. And I'm like, dude, people are dead. Like (laughs) this chick is crazy. Like there are multiple dead bodies and and active scandals going on and she's making out with this guy so then we get a montage of like cheer her getting ready in the mirror walking down the hallway wait can we ask we ask the question is nobody else concerned that he's gonna announce the most inspirational and he's gonna give it to the girl that he's been making out with right like is there no integrity to this award yeah no i agree i actually agree with that i wonder what it's like i mean I mean, he seems to take it really well. By the way, he's also the funny thing is he's the radio DJ, but they do these video awards. I was very confused as like, like he he didn't seem like a guy that would have been the AV club kid. Um, so I was a little surprised by, but I mean, I don't know. He had a setup. There. Well, I think cause like radio DJ is a cool school job, but like right. no offense, we've talked to Vance. And no one wants to have him on the radio. Right. I would say put Taylor on the radio. Not that she needs any more extracurriculars, but he's like, Vince is the last person I want to listen to. But anyway, um, yeah, we see, um, you know, just basically her life is growing amazing. She's with Vance. Things are working out. And then we see a scene of all the popular kids walking down the hall. And then Taylor comes out of the bathroom in athleisure wear looking just like she's been through hell. So we get an announcement that it's the last date to vote for the most inspirational person award. And Casey fixes her lipstick in the mirror in her locker. When Taylor approaches one Oh seven 24 to one Oh eight 33. You must be pleased with yourself. Sweetie. I'm sure I have no idea what you're talking about. No? Everybody pretty much hates me. And they seem to love you even more. Even Reagan was taken down a few pegs, leaving room on top for you. Taylor, if you don't like the consequences of your actions, maybe you should rethink them. Oh, you are such a delusional bitch! Look, am I really supposed to think that all of this was just a coincidence? I don't care what you think. I know you posted the video from my phone. Brian did all the other stuff Claire told me about, too. Don't know why, besides the fact that you are back crazy. But I will prove it. Are you really sure that's a good idea? After all that's happened. Are you threatening me? No. I'm merely pointing out that others have tried to take me down, and it's never ended well for them. I don't know, maybe the universe is finally on my side. And karma's a bitch. I love these queens. Mm-hmm. They killed that scene. Yeah. Yeah. They really carried this movie. Yeah. They were both very good. Yeah. So, you know, Taylor obviously had no idea that all of that was going on. 
Um, so she should be more scared, but again, she is a queen. So we see Casey drop off Reagan's homework to her, and Reagan asks if the rumors about her have gone away. And Casey's like, Oh, yeah, it's a distant memory. They talk about the most inspirational person award, and Casey says that she's starting to feel confident about it. And Reagan assures her that she's a shoe-in. When Casey gets home, her mom is on the couch. She yeah, this is another scene where she's just, it's devastating. She asks her if she's okay, and she's like, listen, I, I got to work some more double shifts. My body can't just, I can't take them the way they used to. If you can, it would be great if you get a ride to school tomorrow, because I'll be at work. Because what, she doesn't have the sweet, sweet Harlan money? I mean, what what's happening there? <laughs> I don't know, man. It's like maybe the new wig. Right, yeah. Put her in. I mean, I, I am wondering a little bit about where all of this is coming from. I know Reagan gave her some like clothes that she wasn't wearing anymore, but right. it does seem like she's taken on a new lifestyle for a girl without a part time job. Yeah. So she's like, you know, all excited to go open this package that's arrived for her in her bedroom. But before she can, her mom's like, just so you know, we can talk about anything. She's like, yeah, I know. She's like, no, I mean anything, anytime. I just want to connect with you. Um, I wonder what's up with that. Like why, right. Like what, why they even put that together. I mean, I think, I think we're right. I mean, are we supposed to, isn't that just, it's sort of laying groundwork for the final devastating scene where the mom is confused. She did everything she could and yet her daughter still became this wild sociopath. It is, but like on the outside, it looks like her daughter is probably living the best life right. that she's ever lived. She's popular. She's up for this award. She's a shoe in like she, uh, her whole life is really turned around in a month. And it's strange to me that when she seems to be doing this well, now suddenly her mom is at this stage of feeling like she needs to do some sort of potential intervention. Right. That's a good point. I had not yeah, at the time I hadn't I hadn't processed that. But yeah, that's a little bit odd. Anyway, she practices announcing herself in her mirror with her brand new wig. It's this red wig we've described it before. Of course, we'll include a picture on the Instagram. It's just it's it looks like a cosplay wig. Yeah, it was very it was just an odd choice uh, again because because it it had no there was no plant to that payoff. Uh, of her and her other hair looked so luscious. Like right. The hair that she was rocking at that time, like there was no reason for the new wig. Exactly. I thought she looked great. So like, yeah, it's a, it's a weird moment where she's practicing her emotion basically in the mirror. I think that's what we're supposed to take from that is she's right. practicing what it looks like to be happy to win something. Surprise, so. Yeah. Taylor comes in to the counselor's office after she leaves for, for the night and she gets the keys to the files and she pulls Casey's file. Right. And all she sees when she opens it is just the word police. So she brings it with her. Um, we see the cops arriving to a field where a woman who is kind of my favorite actress in the movie, she's just like a woman who's like, I think barefoot and has her hair in a low ponytail. She just looks like country folk. Um, she points to like a remote wooded location for the cop to go mm -hmm. to. And we see Haley's body is found. Her hand is still perfectly intact. And 
her hands just completely unburied. Her nail polish is pristine. It's difficult to believe this is a body that's been sitting there for a month. Right. <laughs> you had thought maybe some squirrels would have gotten to it. I mean, especially given the fact that like, you know, before we had seen that same character's brain, you would think they would have, they would have gone a little more gruesome with the, you know, with the corpse. Isn't that weird that we've seen her brain? I mean, I just, I honestly, I still can't process what that was. You know what the closest analog was? The famous One Tree Hill, Dan's heart gets eaten by a dog scene. Have you ever seen the, the, that as a meme? Um, I've never seen that show. Did that happen? So, yeah. So there's a famous, so One Tree Hill, which started pretty excellent. I mean, One Tree Hill was great. I mean, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, as obviously we've discovered was not great. But that was a great show for a couple of seasons. And then it turned into like a crazy soap opera. And at one point, the evil dad character, Dan, um, he needs a heart transplant. And the heart is like some, somehow the heart ends up, you know, going down the hall, and but somebody's dog gets loose and knocks the the the, the thing with the heart over, and then takes the heart. And he's like, "No!" And it's there's like it's like a famous. It's almost like the girl with the golden arm Quibi scene, where it became this sort no, of famous no reference of fucking you know, Quibi scene. scene. Things gone wrong. <laughs> Dude, on the day of his death, you're gonna make Quibi jokes. It's the last day. It's the last day that I can talk about Quibi. I I don't know. I I mean, like those sound like things I would have avoided if I'm being honest with you. And right, it's just uh, yeah, it's unbelievable. We yeah. it's so unbelievable. Anyway, we saw a brain. So Casey zips up her dress in a garment bag and packs her wig in a box. And she's all prepared to get ready for the ceremony and heads over to where Sean is staying to ask for a ride. This is a hell of a scene. 113 to 115 10. Hey, can you give me a ride to school? Sean. What the hell, Sean? I was just about to come get you. We have to go. No. What are you talking about? Hey, Sean, talk to me. What's going on? They found her body. Haley's? They dug her up a few days ago. It didn't take long for her parents to identify her. Okay, let's think about this. So they don't actually have anything linking us to her. Why do you still have it? I was going to sell it. She was your friend. Okay, that's going to lead them here. So if we don't leave now... No, I can't leave. My whole life is here. You know how crazy that sounds, right? You killed her. You won't have a life if you stay here. build a whole new life together I mean come on this is what we always used to talk about the two of us leaving this place behind why do you think I came back here you are the only one that has ever understood me 
You know I'd do anything for you. So what are we waiting for? This won't just go away. You're right. I know you're right. Dog. This even surprised me. Yeah, I mean, she's she goes there. She's cold. I mean, you know, I mean, well, first of all, this is where I wrote in my notes, no way Sean is so dumb that he keeps a cheap hot topic necklace to sell. That was my, <laughs> that was my note. Um, so I think that's what I took away from the scene. But it was also like a thing like there was no way that they he couldn't have un- like reversed it and like somehow gotten rid of it. Now, it's like there's so many ways you could still get rid of that necklace. Yeah, it's weird because she seems to make a solid point and all of his points. I mean, he clearly just wants to like dream up a way for them to have to, to run away together, I guess. You know, like he's just I don't know. And then but the also the idea that she can hug him, pull the giant gun out of his back and like at no point is he able to defend himself (laughs) seems suspicious it's so cold it is so cold um so then she gets into um his truck because now she has a ride which is i guess what really matters at the end of the day um and she works herself up crying just the way she did um and she grabs the phone let's play 115.57 to (laughs) 116.18 She's crazy, man. So, yeah, I mean, I just, you know, so, but at this point isn't, it feels a little bit like that, you know, the end of, um, oh my God, why am I blanking? What's the Scorsese movie all the dudes like? Uh, Goodfellas. Um, Where you're just, where (laughs) it's just somebody just scrambling. Like it didn't feel, like it felt like she, there was no way that she was going to, did she think she was going to get away with all this stuff from this point on? I mean, I guess he's a drug dealer, but once, once she sort of kidnaps Reagan, right. I think she has tunnel vision at this point. Right. Yeah. She just, she needed that most inspirational moment. And that's why, you know, at the end of this, it appears she winds up in a mental institution and not jail. (laughs) Right. Right. Spoiler alert. Um, So she, um, you know, gets a call from Reagan who's waiting for her in the parking lot. Right when she leaves the message, Taylor comes running up to her and tells her that she has Casey's file. And it's full of stuff that she needs to be aware of. Psych evaluations, reports, all that kind of stuff. And Reagan's like, this is disgusting that you would weaponize her private documents. But Taylor tells her that she really better look into this stuff. And if she doesn't believe her, then, you know, I'll never bother you again. So Reagan gets a text that Casey is saying she'll be there in about 15 minutes. So she decides that she has some time to dig into the files. Then Casey does not go and find um, 
Reagan right away. She spots Vance in the hallway and um, he tells her that he has good news. The votes are in and she won. They ask him to bring her back for the big announcement. So they walk into the classroom holding hands when Reagan comes in and Casey is thrilled to see her. But Reagan says they need to talk for a second. So um, it won't take long. The two of them head to, you know, the attitude from Casey is like, I would rather be getting ready for my big moment, but sure, I'll go talk to you. So we see that Taylor is watching them go into the next phase of their conversation. And when we come back from commercial, the two of them are in a janitor's closet having a little talk. 119 40 to 122 there's a police report in there, and the things it says. Casey, I know you've been through a lot, but I need you to be honest with me. It says you were the main suspect in the fire. It says they had evidence until inexplicably, Sean confessed and then fled the state. Shut up. Casey, talk to me. What really happened? I said shut up! What happened to your house? To your dad? Was it an accident? I'm sure there's an explanation. <laughs> he deserved it! The way that he treated us? He would drink. He'd get angry. And he would hit me. My mom. And we just lived with it. For years. And I took my anger out on my friends. Oh my god. Casey. Until I had enough. One night, when he was passed out from too much drinking, I don't regret starting the fire. I am glad that he's dead. The only thing I regret is what happened to me. And when I met you, things finally started looking up again, but people just kept getting in the way. So it was really you? Everything that happened? The video? It wasn't Taylor? She wouldn't keep her mouth shut. Just like Claire. And Haley. Casey, please. You need help. Taylor and Claire will forgive you. I know it. And when Haley comes home... Haley's not coming home. What? No, no, Casey, no. Please don't tell me. I, I, I didn't mean to. It just happened. But it's okay. The police are on their way to Sean's house right now, and they're going to find Haley's necklace on his body, and he's going to take the fall from me, just like he did before. His body? My God, Casey, how many people have you hurt? Enough. Enough to keep them from taking what's mine. What I worked so hard to get. We're gonna get you help. I promise. 
No, we're not. Fire extinguisher. Bam. Mm-hmm. Secrets out, bitch. Yep, yep. We've seen that before. So, I mean, yeah, she laid it all out. So, first of all, yeah, first of all, violence begets violence, mm. right? I mean, the dad was the original perpetrator of this, but, you know, it was probably his dad that started it. I mean, and that's what we see here. Not to be a dick, but, like, I don't believe her. <laughs> you think? You, your thing is she just like the dad just like wouldn't buy her a car or something. No, I just think if if the situation was what she described. Yeah. Her mom and her would have more of an informed dialogue about that. Right. Right. Well, that's, you know, again, yeah, it's the, the burning bed thing where there was something. The way. Yeah. You know, where they just talked about it. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. Sorry. <laughs> But yeah, so anyway, so I think I, but again, and and just to point out, this is the scene that we saw at the beginning, right? This is the, the, so we, the movie started with little clips from this, uh, you know, this, you know, that her tying uh, her to the chair. The actual like moment of the wig, though, I think is we we will never see it. Uh, She's when she's getting ready. God, imagine like taping your friend to a chair and then changing in front of her and putting on a wig. <laughs> How weird is that shit? Yeah. and then, <laughs> Like and, on top of all of it. <laughs> and so then, and yeah, was there any, right. So, and, and so the whole time, um, the whole time uh, Reagan is filming this, right. So Reagan actually brings her into the janitor's thing in order to film the confession. She just doesn't realize the girl's going to go fucking nuts on her right there and and potentially kill her. Uh, no, I don't think. I don't think. And so then this was, yeah. And so yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I you know you, you're supposed to feel, I guess, a little bit bad for Casey, but she's obviously so crazy that there's nothing that you can do about it. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I feel like you know we'll probably talk about this again at the end so let's just go to it now you know yeah at the end when casey's in the mental institution reagan meets up with laura and goes to her coffee shop and her mom's like please just tell me she's gonna be okay and i'm like girl like she's like oh yeah of course and it's like girl no she's not she's not gonna be okay like (laughs) someone like casey doesn't come back she's like charles manson but without charles manson she's just she she's just doing it all herself oh man i mean just imagine playing out laura's life from that moment forward like it's not like she all of a sudden is not going to be dating even more abusive men right because she probably hates probably has less self-esteem because not only does she date abusive men? But then also on top of it, she has a daughter who's in a mental institution because she killed multiple people. And so she's going to be feeling like anybody who gives her any love, she needs to hold on to. And so it's going to be, you know, it's going to be Harlan times mm-hmm. 10. Like this is a bleak. I mean, the the sequel, right? That's why I think we have to do a prequel to this and not the sequel. Although the sequel could be like a Michael Myers thing. Casey's revenge, right, where she gets out and the mom is like an old hermit, 
right? And she gets out and like puts on a mask and starts murdering people or something. I will tell you that I think that I think Lifetime could really do something if they had like a universe similar to that where all of these characters were pulling them up. If we got to revisit these characters, I think that would be really honestly a very intelligent use of time because it creates so much unnecessary but like possible fandom to just keep giving these characters lives and expanding on them versus you know people seeing them once on a, on an app on their airplane and never coming back to them again well also yeah because the most likely to murder two casey's revenge or whatever because casey is the type who could have talked her way out of the institution certainly yeah. you know that you could see her figuring out a way, getting, you know, there's a therapist who has a, a radical new plan and she's giving her medication and then she's able to get out and everybody thinks everything's okay. But there's like, Taylor is back and the Taylor's like in town and like, is like, what? How did she get out? Well, especially if Casey kills her doctor right. at the mental institution, because she could just like be like, yeah, he was doing all sorts of shit to me. Mm -hmm. I've been fine this whole time. Right. And so like the state in order to avoid the lawsuit kind of like gives her a new name and maybe she goes, he goes to junior college, you know, and then maybe even the mom, maybe the mom is the right. one who has to come out and stop her. Maybe the mom has gained some strength. You know, and it's like that new Halloween. I could see Casey joining an MLM, though. Yes. Well, yeah, that would help, too. Yeah. It's like the, you know, like if you were the, if you were like one of the women from like the Symbionese Liberation Army, where like somehow you have that, even if she has that little texture where she's like, I was this person in this. Save. Oh, you're talking about Martha, multi-level marketing. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I, was, I thought we were going to cult. By the way, that that's how the the, the vow cult starts with a with a delightful MLM. So, um, so you'll is it? it yeah, they in the, in about episode seven they reveal the origins of the cult is actually him doing almost like a making money package style MLM from the nineties. Oh, that's like um, Jody Arias and Travis's prepaid legal. Yeah, something whatever. The MLMs don't lead to great stuff, I will tell you. So um, Reagan wakes up on the floor of the closet and she's duct taped to this chair. And Casey basically, you know, is threatening her and sort of explaining to her how this will go down for Reagan. Like she will be Casey's going to slit her wrists. She's going to be the next poster child for teen suicide. Um Vance comes by to see if she's in there and she yells him that she's just changing. So she tells Reagan that she better go get ready. And once all this little over, it'll be like nothing happened. No one will believe her if she tells them anyway. So she gets ready in her dress. Um, the kids in the classroom are like, so what we're seeing is like the classroom, the speech classroom, I guess, where Claire is there in the back watching it on their like closed circuit TV, this ceremony happening. And the kids are very attentive. Yeah. No, everybody wants to find – everybody shows up for this. I mean, Vance is not wrong that this is an important part for the whole school. I just, like, am not getting, like, we care about each other vibes from this school. This seems so, like, false. I mean, not to, like, call them posers, but – all right, let's play this scene. Um this is where Claire's really working her necklace over time, if you hear any jingling. Um, 12437 to 12638. It's with 
great pleasure, I introduce this year's winner. Jefferson High, say hello to the most inspirational student of the year, Casey Paulson. Thank you so much. You have no idea how much this means to me. You know, if you told me a month ago that I would be standing here, I, I would have thought you were crazy. I was an outsider. I was a freak. Or so I thought. When all of you saw me for who I really was, you accepted me for the first time in a really long while. I felt like I belonged. I know it's been a really long road to get here, but I promise you, now that I am here, I am not going anywhere. I will do the title Most Inspirational Proud. I don't regret starting the fire. I am glad that he's dead. The only thing I regret? No. It's what happened to me. Stop it. My God, Casey, how many people have you hurt? Enough. Enough to keep them from taking what's mine. No. No. They'll just be another tragic teen suicide. There she is. No, no, you can't take this away from me. No, I deserve this. I deserve this! No! I deserve this! Okay. So public schools just have that cop on just, he's just there ready to arrest at any minute. I mean, I guess some of the kids from the bad side of the town go to the school too. So he just has to be there to be prepared, you know, (laughs) in case the poor start acting up, he's got to be there. But yeah, I mean, okay. So I would love to see more of these Lifetime movies that don't end with a secret recording reveal, Mm -hmm. but I do love, uh, yeah, and we're taking this to the police moment. Well, I also, uh, my favorite is also the the girl standing, like, just the logic of the fact that she's standing there holding up a phone, but, like, the AV club guy hasn't like, really moved the camera and like zoomed in on it like it's all very like everything's very good like imagine what that poor kid is thinking he's just happy that oh like Vance God. talks to him right and Vance probably just I bet you Vance is a little bit of a tyrant right in his AV club thing making sure that like the sound is right for his big announcement and the the lighting <laughs> they have a whole thing and then like the kids like Sam Vance is like zoom in zoom in um, because all the other kids hear and essentially see this confession, um, at least we're led to believe. I would literally live for a YouTube video that was like high school morning announcements being interrupted with bad news. <laughs> <laughs> if it was just like a series of watching high schoolers, like, you know, talking about the morning news and getting interrupted and told it's nine eleven, like literally I would love that it's there has to be i mean i don't know who would have the collection of all that footage but there has to be some hilarious moments in there truly 
And I, you know, I just, I think, I think for this school, the question is, do you continue the title of most inspirational or has it been tainted? You know, is this something right. that is a tradition that continues or is it a tradition nobody wants to continue because, you know, people are dead? I don't know. Well, I think that they would really have to scrutinize their system. I was, you know, because like basically they just were like vibing off of someone for a month that took her wig off and decided they were going to give her this prestigious award. I do wonder if the mayor is involved in these rules. Like who does the superintendent have a hand in this? Like what, like, is this just a really informal thing? Cause it does seem like everyone's really frothing for it. Yeah. Well, it also feels like, yeah, people are really easily manipulated too, right? Like you can one, <laughs> there's that <laughs> you get the local Instagram celebrity. The, the the local internet the local Instagram eyebrow celebrity mentions a girl. Guys, you know, I didn't want to be like a douche, but like in 2019, if you like were sort of like the popular girl at your school and you went to a school like this and you had <coughs> 200 followers when you were actively making tutorials, that would be completely unimpressive. <laughs> 200 followers is not that much. That's that's not a dent. There are people who went to camp who have more followers than that. Um, but, you know, I will say this was one of the more sensible uses of social media I've seen. I will mm -hmm. say Lifetime has stepped up their game regarding how they portray social media in their movies. So, um, yeah, after this, yeah, we have that exchange with Laura and Reagan at the coffee shop where she's like, you know, what have I done wrong? Like all the things she confessed, how could my sweet girl do this? She going to get better. And she's like, yeah, she is. And then we cut to the exterior of what looks like a haunted an absolutely haunted wintertime mental institution. It is sure. <laughs> that building looks 1000 years old. Um, Casey is looking at a photo of her and Reagan and she finds out that she has a new roommate. The new roommate reaches her hand out and says, hi, I'm new here. I don't really have any friends. And Casey, we spent, turn the camera up to see Casey and her fucking crazy ass dollar store wig from the beginning of the movie. And she uh, shakes her hand and says, hi, I'm Casey in her very charming voice. So that was it. That was the movie. Most likely to murder. I have to say, this was based on the title. This was better than I was expecting it to be, and I liked some of the performances a lot in it. No, and I think I think they again, like visually, thematically, they had some threads that were woven in, you know, through the whole thing. I thought the acting, um, you know, we, uh, you know, we had some disputes about whether or not that the scene on the chair with Harlan was as good as I saw it. Um, real, real <laughs> worthy, real. I thought it was real worth, real worthy for both actors, and you weren't so sure. Um, I was rethinking. Like I was like, who is he? I f thought I knew Andrew Waller, but he's just some fucking stranger that likes this. Yeah, no, for sure. I was going through a lot when that happened. But I definitely, I would like <laughs> to see, yeah, a, a, like a lifetime cinematic universe where you can sort of expand this with prequels and sequels, I would absolutely be down for that. 
dude, we should totally go in. I have uh, the fucking connect there. Not really. I mean, meaning my manager has their phone number. Right. And I, and I've talked to them before. I don't have the connect there, meaning we can schedule a general if you want to go in and pitch the fucking Cat Murders a Lady movie. Uh, you direct, I write, we become millionaires. I, well, by the way, can, can we also at that same meeting ask if you can wear the blue dress that Casey wore for Most Likely to Murder? It's probably right there, and they're like on like the third floor of their building. What if they had it in a case, <laughs> like, like a fucking hard walk, hard rock cafe? Well, they definitely have the wig. The first time I went to the Lifetime offices that are in um, they're uh in Century City now in those fucking spooky buildings. Sure. Uh, the first time I went in there, it was Christmas, and they had like the tree out, mm-hmm. and they had like. All the Lifetime posters were Christmassy. And like, I rag on Lifetime Christmas movies so much, but like, I was starstruck a little. Like, you know how when you walk in, I felt that way at Mar Vista as well. I was like, dude, I'm a little starstruck. I've grown up my whole life seeing this logo. And here I am in the room where the people who make this logo work. The room where it happens. Can you believe that sometimes like even like not not necessarily the ones that are like, oh, wow, I'm driving on this lot. It's like the random rooms where that person happened to produce a movie that you're obsessed with. There's something iconic happened there. I always find I get starstruck in in sort of not usual places, maybe. Oh, well, I, I really enjoyed when I you go like 10 years ago when I like, you know, whatever it was. 15 years ago when I had my first general meeting on the Warner's lot and like there was the Gilmore Girls set. And you like, they're like, park there. And I'm like, I'm parking on the Gilmore Girls set. That's where the writer's rooms were for Two Broke Girls. We were in, like, in this Warner Brothers, the Warner Brothers uh, tour would pass every day. Sure. All right. Can I tell you who my favorite writer is? Yeah. Dwayne Poole. Have you heard of him? No. He's a lifetime writer. I want you to check him out. He has been a very good sport about the fact that we've talked about him, but he's low key written probably one of the worst, but most of the best lifetime movies that we've watched on this show. So you got to check out Dwayne pool. Okay. Andrew Waller. I'm going to link anywhere that you want us to link to on your social text me those links when we're done. Okay. Um, In the description of this podcast so that they live forever. But is there anything you want to tell people to watch except for, search party on hbo (laughs) (laughs) well listen i mean i guess i guess if you have if you have like a nine to eleven year old girl you go ahead and you have your your kids find taking five and you'll see that i have some bona fides in some teen girl uh in directing a teen girl movie and there's at least one person listening to this who already loves that movie yeah well i yeah well i was so i was so proud because I, at some point, I'd gone in, you know, to my kids' school and, like, whatever, had to do some sort of thing. And then this girl raised her hand and said, oh, you said you directed movies. What did you direct? And I was like, oh, nothing you've heard of. And she's like, and she really pushed me on it. She was six. And she was like, no, what did you direct? And I said, oh, it's called Taking Five. And then two weeks later, the mom's like, she's watched it six times. And I was like, this is the nicest thing that's ever happened to me. And then... Just recently, the mom posted on Instagram, like, you know, uh, you know, day, you know, day one of first grade, uh, fifth grade or whatever. And then it says favorite movie and it says taking five. 
Like I've been in her life for like four years. It's amazing. That is so cute. I, and dude, I just looked it up on IMDb. You have some um, real big time players of their time in this movie. Yeah. Oh, certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was there was some fun. Um, there were definitely some fun uh, actors in that movie. So did this go? So this was straight to DVD. You said, did they never like play it on like Disney Channel or something? No, it did. It played a lot on. I want to say it's played on Stars. It played on Stars, okay. like Stars Family a lot. So it was on. Oh, Family. I want to say it. It. I'm trying to think if it played anywhere else. Oh my God! Wait a minute. I know exactly what this movie is. So Mr. Kate. Yeah. Uh, Kate Albrecht yeah. was in, um, she, she uh, was worked for Hello Giggles and her husband, Joey was in the movie. Right. The, the two of them met on the set of that movie. Yes. Okay. I'm putting this together. That's fucking crazy. I didn't know you directed that. Yeah. 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 They were, they were super fun. I, you know, I loved working with them and they're so great. People are out here loving that movie for sure. I feel like I've heard a, a, I, this is like not even of my generation. And I feel like I've heard a lot of fan love for this. Um, well, dude, you're the best. Thank you so much for coming on and doing this. Um, so I probably kept you longer, but I feel like we definitely avoided the presidential debates tonight. Um, you guys, this will be out before the election. Please fucking vote. Um, and if you can't, please help out people who can vote and make it easier for them. Uh, Andrew, you're the best. Thanks for being here. Can't wait to make big moves with you, my friend. And um, you Let's guys, I'll it. talk to you soon. All right. <laughs> Bye. Hi. I'm new here. I don't really know anyone yet. Do you want to be friends? Hi, I'm Casey. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.